Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome to Buckeye Talk on the Road. I am Nathan Baird. He is Doug Lee Maurice. We are Cleveland.com and we are coming to you from Indianapolis, site of the NFL Scouting Combine. Uh, another beautiful winter day here in the state of Indiana, snow falling outside around us and uh it sucks here it sucks it's not beautiful it's been dreary i'm cold stop it's 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 practically march it should should the uh should be bunnies and butterflies doug winter in indiana is the best nine months of the year i don't know if you've heard that it's it's a wonderland here's the thing we're in a big giant hallway here and i am already apprehensive about my potential inability to shout um, which i fear will limit my passion on the podcast which is not something i want to limit but i also don't want everyone to look at me so we'll play it by ear but at the combine you kind of you got to find places to work there's like a gazillion reporters here and we're in a big convention center and they don't have individual podcast rooms this guy's looking at us right now he's like what are these people doing albert breer friend of the podcast walking by he's like what's happening here so we're in a high traffic zone and we're going to do the best we can the hallways at the Combine are where the action is. I mean, everyone thinks about, you know, Lucas Oil Stadium where they're running the 40s and doing all that stuff, and you're talking about all the other... Th- there's a whole other wing of the of the convention center where our media interviews take place. It's about a quarter of a mile away, um, and I do kind of expect that at some point someone from down there will dispatch someone down here to tell you to be quiet. But out here in the hallway is where, the, you know, we've got people, other podcasts going on. I'm pretty sure there's some job interviews going on over there behind that um, potted plant. I might go over um, there and see what's going on. <laughs> Get me a new job. <laughs> there's, there's, there's a lot of interesting things happening. So um, some interesting things happened back in Columbus. So here's we what we're going to do. So, that, so we're get, we, we got a lot of things to talk about. We're going to talk about combine stuff, but also your questions. But we want to probably start with Ryan Day, right? Ryan Day's contract, right. which we which happened earlier this week. Um, again, we have we have things popping with the combine that we'll get to. We have a bunch of your questions that we'll get to. Um, this will going to be a little scattered. We're going to have a really good spring football preview next week for the podcast because. Um, Spring football does start next week, and we'll start off, I think, by talking to Ryan Day on the first day of practice, whenever that is next week. Um, but right now, we could talk about Ryan Day's 
paycheck, which got bigger. Significantly bigger, and there's going to be more of them because now he's extended three more seasons through the end of the 2026 season. Um, the guaranteed money, I think it adds about at least $20 million in value to the contract over um, just the next few years. And that's that's not knowing it because the final couple seasons of this contract are still TBD on what the actual um, compensation is going to be. But um, it's a bump to... Uh, including um, a a, um, a retirement bonus that he gets or a retirement payment that Ohio State's making for him. It bumps the to- what he'll get paid for 2020 to $6 million. I think it's 65 after that, and then $7.6 million for 2022, and then increasing beyond that. So very quickly, Ryan Day, who's only going to be, as everyone knows, a second-year head coach next season, is going to be one of the probably five, six highest-paid coaches in college football, depending on what happens around him at the top of that uh, leaderboard. So I will say, the, the, the thing that you guys listen to this podcast for is deep, insightful analysis. And we also later are going to talk about Tomorrow. the best place to eat in a food court, because I'm having a food court crisis here in Indianapolis, and so I put out the call, and you guys... Again, it's always one of those things. We put out the call and for tech subscribers. It's like, hey, do you have anything to ask about Ohio State football? Also, what's your favorite place to eat in a food court? And there's equal passion in the responses <laughs> to those questions. I mean, it might, it might even lean food court. And, and by the way, speaking about the text thing, like here's the deal on this. You guys are so good at it that we, and by we, I mean me, Nathan, and Steven, and Steven's back in Columbus right now, so I don't think we'll hear from him on this podcast. We and you, you're part of the we. We, us, all of us, together. The people who listen to this podcast and then really the people who listen and also subscribe to Buckeye Talk. We are thought leaders in this thing. And this text subscription thing that we've been doing, we're almost coming up on a year of it because it started like in the middle of March last year, which blows my mind that we've been doing it for that long. This is a thing that, like, our company is, like, spreading around to other companies. They are, they, they are learning the technology from us. I, they're using it potentially, like, for people to get updates on presidential campaigns. I've seen other major newspapers and websites using it for sports coverage. Like, people, this is a thing as you think about building a journalism model where the connection that you guys get to us through this text plan is something that's spreading and like we innovated it. We didn't just innovate it at, innovate it at our company, we did. We innovated it at cleveland.com. The first four people to ever do it were the four beat writers at cleveland.com for the four sports teams and the people who responded the best were you guys. Ohio State fans of at cleveland.com are changing the face of journalism and like that is not a joke because we're all trying to find a way to make it buck in this game to keep this going. And that's what you guys are doing. So, like, I hope you feel that connection and, like, we're trying to make it a little better. So they sent out an email. It's, like, always one of these things. I think I'm not supposed to reveal the behind-the-scenes stuff and just, like, go with the flow. But I like to reveal the behind-the-scenes stuff because then you feel connected, too. It's like you got the email from the boss. They don't want us to call you tech subscribers anymore. They want us to call you friends of the podcast. And that's because of the way we talk about it here. We've always thought that. So now they want everybody else to do that. So it's not about being a tech subscriber. It's about being a friend of the pod and supporting the pod and getting the daily type of pod info in your phone, right? And they did like a really super easy way to do it now, which like I really don't quite understand. 
But if you want to do this, and it's Nathan, Stephen, and I all doing the text now, if you want to get signed up, it's so easy to sign up. You can just text a number now. So try this. If you haven't tried it yet, it's $3.99 a month, but it's a 14-day free trial. Text 614-350-3315. 614-350-3315. That doesn't instantaneously charge you, but it gets you easily connected to being able to sign up. We've never had that easy phone number before. 614-350-3315. Change the face of journalism. And someday Nathan and I will make as much money as Ryan Day, thanks to you guys. Um, I hope so. So here's the deal. So the, the, the issue is not just the what of Ryan Day. It's the why. It's the why did he get this raise well, yeah, and I this extension. I think the why is more important than the what. I mean, the, because the what was almost – it is a little bit more lucrative maybe than I would have expected to get this quickly up to that $7.5 million range. But it's, it's the why behind that that I think is the story. And the why behind that is basically locking him in. Like this is how much Ohio State believes in him, I think, at, already at this point. You know, one year into his tenure and th- three years into his – presence in the program two or three going into the third year they they believe he's the guy going into his fourth year right fourth two years as an right. assistant one as the head coach but but there's one thing to believe in someone right because i think like uh you know like cleveland.com believes in us but but no one else wants us right <laughs> i mean we could be th- we could throw ourselves on the street for free, and nobody would pick us up. I'm not back in Indiana this week because they were begging me to come back to Indiana. So there's one thing to have a belief in somebody, but there's also another thing to have a belief that other people probably want you to. And Ryan Day is never going to take another college coaching job. But being here at the Combine, we talked a little bit about this. If you subscribe to our YouTube channel, you could have gotten this insight earlier this week. We did a little video about it. When you line up the head coaches at a thing like this, it's Ryan Day clones. It's just like Ryan Day in a different sweater zip, you know? Like, they're all the same. They're all between the ages of, like, 33 and 45. They're all quarterback gurus. They're all play diagrammer, write at X's and O's on a napkin kind of guy, which is exactly what Ryan Day is. So when you line up Matt LaFleur and Sean McVay and Zach Taylor and, and Kevin Stefanski and all these dudes, Ryan Day... I mean, honestly, Ryan Day fits in the picture of NFL head coaches better than he fits in the picture of Big Ten head coaches, honestly. Because, like, Big Ten head coaches, there's, like, a lot of guys from different backgrounds. There's there's older guys, right, guys who are, like, so, you know, Lovey Smith has been around the block. He's been in the NFL. He went to a Super Bowl. But no, he didn't go to the Super Bowl. Did he go to the Super Bowl? Yes. Yeah, with the Bears. Yes. They lost to the Colts. Super Bowl ring. Oh, the Big Ten has two Super Bowl losing coaches in it. Congratulations to the Big Ten. But, but – um, you know, there's a lot of – whereas there's like a mold. There's a mold of NFL head coach right now, and that is what Ryan Day is. So that – this is a preemptive – not a preemptive strike. It's a preemptive warm hug. My wife and my children both wear comfies now. One time there was a, on a 30 Rock, they talked about a slanket, which is a, uh-huh. like a – and a, and a, someone said to uh, – Tina Fey. Tina Fey uh, – quit like filling this slanket with your farts which like is my favorite that's a paraphrase but 
my wife and my children wear a, a comfy, which is a slanket. It's just a, has a hood on it, and it's a, it's a blanket with a hood, and they wear them in the house 24 hours a day. This is Ryan Day's comfy. Gene Smith walked up behind him and put a $7.5 million comfy that comes due in two years on his head coach. So maybe he doesn't look at the picture in the NFL and think, man, I really would fit in there. Now, that like that day is going to come. I mean, like it, it has come already. The Redskins danced around him with a little bit last year or whatever, but it's going to keep coming. And so it is preemptive. It is expressing appreciation, but it's, it's strategic by Ohio State because we're entering a world that they haven't really ever been in where Ohio State is usually not in the business of worrying about losing its coach to something else. Usually for their coaches, Ohio State is, is the pinnacle. Jim Tressel wasn't ever going to go anywhere. I mean, I'm, Earl Bruce wasn't trying to go somewhere. Urban Meyer, even once he got here, wasn't... You would have to worry that someone's going to come steal Urban Meyer, but that is the world that we're in. And, I, and we've talked about it enough. I don't think anyone should be preoccupied about it or nervous about it, but when you see something like this, that's what this is. But these things, and these things are also always a, a negotiation, too. And it, I... I'm curious to find out what you think this means from Ryan Day's perspective. Obviously, anybody will take as much money as you want to give them. But is there any part of this... Yes, I will. But is there any part of this that the fact that Ryan Day is signing this contract, the fact that Ryan Day is, is agreeing to the parameters here signals anything to you about what he, how he feels about Ohio State, how he feels about what the next stage in his career is and how soon that might come? Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things that um, you certainly can interpret it as like, he likes it. He doesn't want to look around. Uh, a lot of times, um, I mean, you don't ever want like a lame duck head coach in recruiting. You don't want rumors, right? You don't want coaches recruiting against Ohio State by saying, man, Ryan Day's not even going to be there by the time you graduate. He'll be gone to the NFL. People are doing that to Urban Meyer. You know, Dabo Sweeney famously did that correctly in recruiting Jackson Carmen. Like, hey, don't, Urban Meyer's not going to be there for five years. He was right. Um, now, the thing of it is, is you don't have to be on the book for seven more years to make that point. He already had he, has, he had a five-year deal off the bat. He had four years left on that, and they added three years to it anyway. So the thing that, that we are curious about, and we don't we don't have right when do do you have do you have an idea of when we think we'll get the I actual was, contract? So the board of trustees meetings are, are this week. I think we'll have it either tomorrow or Friday. This uh, we're recording this on Wednesday, so hopefully tomorrow or Friday. And read Cleveland.com slash OSU as soon as that happens. And, and tech subscribers will probably get something from me as soon as it comes out because the issue is the buyout friends of the podcast sorry yes um yeah you're right but the buyout is is the biggest change it's the bigger change more than what he's going to be getting paid to me um because right now his buyout if he were to leave for another job is not something that is very prohibitive in the in the in the grand scheme the kind of contract that was going to have to hire him away anyway was going to be what five six million dollars a year for four or five years so adding an extra two million dollars onto that for the buyout is is not very punitive i would imagine that that's going to jump up pretty significantly in correspondence with the way that his salary is going to now jump up pretty consistently or significantly and now i think the 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 thing we all realize on this in conclusion is it's all meaningless <laughs> because because as soon as the Patriots want to give him $8 million. I mean, nobody's ever going to say, well, we had our first choice as a head coach, but $3 million. That was too much. But, not but the NFL, not the, the quadrillion dollars a year NFL. I mean, like it's it, it doesn't mean anything. 
But doesn't it also mean, though, that the, the, the contract they would have to give him to be head coach is now going to have to be nine, ten million dollars well, no, because Ohio State could act could still you would think counter an offer. I mean that that is I mean the 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 I th- the highest paid college coaches make as much or more than a lot of NFL coaches. Correct. So um you know to me I, I, the thing that I don't think changes about this is I, Ryan Day was already at the place even after a year, even by deciding, and as I've, I've detailed before, he could have gone to be an NFL coordinator after a year at Ohio State and set himself on that NFL path if he wanted to. And again, the guy, Ryan Day, turns down the Tennessee Titans coordinator job. Matt LaFleur takes it. And a year later, Matt LaFleur is the head coach of the Green Bay Packers. Like, Ryan Day knows that. Um, and Ryan Day made a choice. Ryan Day made a professional choice a family choice to stay on the college route and he has said all the things about why he likes college why he wants to he went to the nfl to learn more about the game but he really likes college um but when he wants to go it's not going to be money right and it's not going to be desperation it's going to be i want to win a super bowl and i think i have the opportunity to do that so i think he's already passed the stage i mean like regardless of the money i don't think he would have been like well I'll go take the worst head coaching job in the NFL because I'm going to make an extra half a million dollars. You know, like he's he's at the he's already very. He went from an offensive coordinator to like a dude who is as established at his place as any of 15 coaches at either level, right? Very quickly, and so he can bide his time. He can wait it out. He can wait for the perfect. He can wait for the perfect opportunity but he already could do that i think he was already at that place and when that perfect opportunity comes if he wants to win a super bowl it won't matter how much he makes it won't matter what his buyout is if that's in his heart what he wants to do he'll do it and and until he reaches that moment we don't know what he's going to do and that's the thing of like i think it's fun to discuss this stuff but these guys don't know themselves, and they don't know, well, what, in three years, will he leave? He doesn't know. A million different things will go into that. But in the end, a contract is not going to stop you from doing what you want to do. How important do you feel it is, just in the landscape of college sports, to be the school? If you're playing at Ohio State's level, how much do you need to be backing it up with the money that you're putting behind these guys? Um, is it something that will get used against you from a recruiting standpoint? in terms of just like contract details and things like that i'm thinking that also in terms of the assistant coaches i think you're going to see that pool is going to probably increase when those contracts come out i think that may not come out till, till next week but um uh, i you know uh, i'm pretty sure combs is going to make more than halfly made by a couple hundred thousand um i think brian hartline is probably due for a, some kind of a boost even if you're saving some money in between what you paid your assistant and what you're going to pay Corey dennis that 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 assistant pool may grow, I think, here in the next week as well. So I think that, you know, it's two separate issues. The assistant pool is, yes, if you aren't paying the going rate, um, you might lose guys because the assistants will jump for more money. But Mike Yurcich jumped the double his salary to Texas. But a school like Ohio State kind of has to lead that in some ways, right? I mean, in the past, Ohio State kind of has not wanted to lead that because Gene Smith kind of thought it was a little nuts. And and the thing that's hard about this, and, and this is a broader debate about college football in general, college, the NFL is a national sport. College football is a local sport. And so 
but it has a national connection. Right. right. So the thing that Gene was always very aware of is like just because LSU is going to pay a guy this doesn't mean we have to do that. We're not going to let a conference where they're just going to pay more, they might look at things differently, whatever. We're not going to let that be the main influence on what we think we should pay our assistants. Now, Brett Bielema left Wisconsin and went to Arkansas and basically tanked his career because he he thought he might get the Colorado job and they hired Carl Durrell, who was a failed UCLA. I mean, like the Colorado job that Mel Tucker left, they ended up getting their 15th choice. And Brett Bielema was interested and didn't get it. He tanked his career because he went for more money at Arkansas. And one of the reasons he went is because he was losing all of his assistants from Wisconsin Mm -hmm. because they were leaving Dave Aranda, first and foremost. They were leaving for higher-paying jobs in the SEC. So he was ticked. Ohio State, I mean, this almost makes me want to do a story on this. Like, However you want to view it, like, I don't know that Ohio State was desperately sad to leave, see Mike Yersich go. I don't know exactly for sure, right? But I, I don't know that I remember Ohio State football in 15 years that I've been around ever losing an assistant because they went somewhere for more money. And, uh, it's, and there's a, a title bump for years and, and responsibility if he gets to call the plays. I mean, that's yeah. like... You're, he, was, he was the passing game coordinator here, but... For lack, of calling him the quarter, for lack of calling him the quarterback's coach, but that was right. So I, that is not just money. It also is, I think, as you say. It's also double the money. <laughs> yes, a significant bump. So um, I don't think Ohio State has ever been in the business of losing assistance over money. But Gene did kind of reluctantly, to some degree, enter the million-dollar assistant world, which I'm glad. I think he should have been reluctant about that because, again, this is a good place to work. It's a good place to further your career. And if you think you can go work at Mississippi State and make more money, good luck. Um, Head coach, I think his Gene's strategy, and I I keep saying Gene because this is Gene's deal. This is what the AD does, and he kind of has carte blanche to do to run the department the way he thinks it should be run. I just I think Gene's strategy is we want to be fair, we want to be commensurate, we want to be aware of the marketplace. I don't necessarily if you think that Urban Meyer is the second best head coach in college football back in when Urban was here and it was Nick Saban and then Urban Meyer, right? I don't know. I don't think Urban was the second highest paid. You know, I don't think Gene was to that degree of like, well, if you're if we think I don't think Gene Smith would trade Ryan Day for anybody right now. It's like, would you trade him for Dabo? It's like, well, Mia, how could you say no to Dabo? But, like, you know, with what his age is, with, with where the game is and what his expertise is, I'm not sure Ryan Gene Smith would trade Ryan Day for anybody. But also Gene Smith isn't going to think, well, then he should be the highest paid. He doesn't have to be number one. But I think the thing, and this is a long way around, people say this sometimes that I take a long time to get to a point. And I don't know why. He doesn't ever want it to be in the back of your head. He doesn't want to create – like where I create the friction, like take the friction out, take that. Everything else here is great. Right. Facilities are great. Right. Recruiting base is great. Um, tradition is great. The ability to win at the highest level is great. Why plant a seed of like, man, I can't believe that guy, you know? So again, Ryan Day didn't jump into the top 10, but I think Gene Smith, overall, the most important thing is he wants Ryan Day to think I am fairly compensated for my value at Ohio State. And I think after this contract, again, he's not in the top 10, but but I would have to think that Ryan Day does feel that way. 
Well, the the seven the seven point six million that he'll make in in a couple of years. There's only four guys who made seven point five or more last season. Um, Harbaugh and three guys who won a national championship. So. It, it, it is rare air that he'll be in pretty soon. Like I said, I don't know how many other, you know, you know how this works. You know, it, it's like whack-a-mole, like, or whatever. Like, it happens over here, so then somebody reacts to it over there. That's kind of what happened with, it was with Pence, this contract. Uh, James Franklin's new contract came out today. I don't yes. even know if if that was in the works already or if it was. Well, would, it was I one mean, that had already been announced. Okay. And then these were just the details that they were um, putting out. Um, and and by that, that I think that the coverage said that by by the by the right now, now James Franklin is number two in the Big Ten, behind Jim Harbaugh on the right now. Because again, Ryan Day is at five point right. four That's almost correct. right yes. now, and Franklin's over six yeah. for this year. Yeah. Right. If you look at the USA Today database, which is something that gets widely um, cited, um, it is it's Harbaugh number one, and then. The way that they put it together, Jeff Brom was actually number two. He was up in the six millions, but it had to do with bonuses that came in it during that calendar year. So it doesn't. If you're looking at like base salary and things that are actually compensation related to the performance of the team and that sort of things, he's he's farther down. He was even below, I think, Ryan Day. So it would have been Harbaugh, Franklin, and then the next one you get to, I think, was Pat Fitzgerald. I think it was like five point one somewhere around there. So, yeah, I mean, it wasn't like Ryan Day was in a bad position anyway. I mean, he was a first-year head coach, having having never been a head coach at any level, and he gets to walk in right away. He was one of the top 25 paid coaches in the country at, at $4.5 So it wasn't like he was in a bad situation at, at the start of this. So let me, let me ask you this question, which I think maybe can be the headline um, for the podcast. Should Ryan Day be the highest-paid coach in the Big Ten? We're saying he's not. We're saying he got a raise. He's not the highest. Harbaugh and Franklin are, are above him. Mel Tucker for this year is above him. And and you can take that however you want to take should and all the factors that go into it. But should he be? He won the Big Ten. He went undefeated through that conference. He made the playoff. Made the playoff. Um, you know, I, I think... I think you could make that case, and I think you could make that case, especially because of the um, just the revenue that Ohio State athletics generates. I think, correspondingly, the football coach should be compensated at that level. Um, at the same time, Ryan Day hasn't recruited his own class that went out and had that kind of success. Um, he was still, as we've talked about here, um, g- giving him all the credit in the world for how what that team accomplished last year. He was still you know, um, using a, a program that was set up by someone else, um, even though he was a part of that too. I, I, I think it, you certainly can make the argument, but I don't think it's insulting or anything that he's not the, the highest paid head coach. No, I, And you got to remember, you know, it, it's all about leverage. Any, any, the head coach of a, a college football program is not that different than the, um, the scuzzy guys here that cover that program or any other job that's out there. You have to have some leverage in order to get raises, get better contracts, that sort of thing. I mean, you know, Jim Harbaugh was a not only a Michigan guy coming into a program at a time when they really needed kind of a savior, but he had taken a team to a Super Bowl, just one of the best regarded coaches in the country at that time and had a lot of leverage to get the kind of contract that he got. Um, I agree with that. I think that's I, I think that's a smart analysis of it because um, given what Urban Meyer did, Probably most guys that you would have hired to replace him would have done pretty well. Now, not everybody would have gone 
you know, 13 and 0 and 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 made it to the playoffs in my final. I mean, like that again, it's not taking away from yeah. Ryan Day to say that Ohio State has a lot of things in place for for lots of people to have success. And I think we're still um, cuz money is different. Contracts are different. This is as much as I, it's like I'm going back and forth between like saying this contract means everything to this contract is meaningless to back <laughs> to saying again this contract means everything. Um our words, the things that we say and write, are worthless. Our praise means nothing to anyone. Sign up for the text, three ninety nine a month. <laughs> but contracts are serious business, and so you don't know a hundred percent that he's not not Mark Helfrich, who took over for Chip Kelly at Oregon, went eleven and two in his first year, won his division in the Pac twelve, finished in the top ten in year two made the national championship game against Ohio State and then went 9-4, and 4-8, four, four and, and lost his job. You don't know for sure that he's not that. Right. I, I would be surprised if he is, but we're talking contracts, right? And, and at the moment, like, if he's that, if he's on that path, right, you're already on the hook for four extra years. If you're going to fire right. Ryan Day in three right. more seasons, which if he goes four and eight in his fourth year, you might, you've got three more years to pay him. So he's, you're already – so that the idea that it's not right now eight and a half million every year I think is right because I think your recruiting point is the thing. You've got to give me the full from top to bottom – from edge to edge, every part of this program is yours, is functioning at a high level. It's not that the remnants of Urban are moving this along. Year four or five, right, if it's like this and they're competing for national titles in year four, right. he might be the highest paid coach in the country then because they'll renegotiate this thing again. And it's why there's it's kind of a blank check at this point. Not necessarily a blank check, but why they haven't specified an amount for some of those later years. We have some questions from friends of the pod that, that sort of delve into this area that I wanted to get to. Um, that They're not directly about his contract, but they're, they're kind of tangentially related to some of the things we're talking about. From the 330, with the new transfer proposal, could we see a max exodus if a scandal comes up or a coach leaves? Dabo leaves Clemson and everybody good leaves. It could literally cripple a program for years. Does should that give athletic directors pause to make some of the commitments they're making? It probably doesn't really apply to Ohio State. I think there's going to be stability at Ohio State, and if there's a scandal, you get to fire the coach with cause, so you're not on the hook for that kind of money. But I, I am wondering if it's going to change the way that some of the spending maybe happens in college sports because are you locking yourself in to as soon as things turn, things could get worse if you do have guys just bailing. You know, I wonder about that because it's it's the give and take of the whole portal discussion of like, yeah, everybody might bail, but if you like, after the scandal, the next year get in a good coach to replace him, and then a bunch of guys will transfer in because there's all these opportunities. You know, I, Matt Rule flipped it at Baylor pretty quick. Mm-hmm. That was Baylor was as messed up as you could get. Matt Rule right. flipped it, made the Big Twelve title game, and got an NFL job out of it like instantaneously. Yeah. Um, I, I think every. I think almost every portal discussion we have as they continue down this path of, of probably allowing, eventually getting to a point of, of allowing these transfers, I think every one of those discussions is going to be, well, yes on one hand, well, no on the other. And in the end, it'll stay kind of at an equilibrium because, yes, some guys could leave, but then you can fill those holes more quickly by getting guys who could leave their other place. No. Um, also, I, wanna, I don't know if we want to bring it up here. The discussion we had last week – 
on that sweet sounding pod. Woo, baby. <laughs> the dulcet tones of the Cleveland recorded pod. I don't know what this one's sounding like. The, the ceilings here are 400 feet high. This is, this is so not podcast friendly. The discussion we had about leniency and changes in the transfer rules being a way to stave off name, image, and likeness stuff, I read two stories today about that and like people who actually know what they're talking about. Um, Ramogi Huma, who I've talked to a decent amount in the past, who's sort of the labor uh, leader for college athletes, um, said that in a story that I read. Other people who know this business are acknowledging now, a week after our podcast, that all this transfer stuff is nice, but it is a trap to get people to stop focusing on name, image, and likeness, and at least they're trying to slow that train down a little bit. So it's like, thanks, but we see through it. And just so you know, we saw through it on this podcast a week ago. You okay, heard it first. The call was coming from inside the house, I believe was your exact quote. We, we didn't, it's amazing. You just get people in a room and let the ideas, you get, you get people in a, in a convention center with a 40-foot ceiling and the ideas just flow. But I will say also, as we've been here at the Combine, people go around. The media sessions here are really interesting because it's half college writers, probably less than half college writers, and then a bunch of NFL beat writers. It's the entire Ohio State beat because we're only three hours from Columbus. Right. But, but there's a bunch of NFL writers here that just want to go ask the – they're here to, to schmooze with the coaches and GMs and get information from them. And then there's all the college writers who want to actually go talk to the players but the players haven't done anything yet. I mean, they've gotten measured, but they haven't done the 40. They haven't. Some of them haven't really met with a lot of teams. So you're going to get a lot of questions about next year's Ohio State team, for example. You're going to get questions about players, uh, other players that the draft. And something that people have been asking are, are more what we call like trend stories, enterprise stories about um, topics out there. And then people are talking about transfers and name and image and likeness. And the players that we've talked to, even players, someone like Austin Mack, who I feel like is someone who's been outspoken on some of these um, just societal issues and, and things during his time in college, you don't get the sense that there's necessarily a, a passion about the compensation thing. I think they like the idea of a general fairness. There are some things that they, they, they'd like to see tweaked, but the, 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 the really like zealous advocates for it that are within the athlete, the student athlete um, population, seem to be a smaller group than people might think. Well, I've been, have you been hearing people ask about that a lot? Because I've been a trying to bit. ask people about it. I've, I've talked to probably eight, ten different players about it, and I, I wanted to do more, but, you know, you get busy. Um, but it I will do happen, more. It tends to happen when a guy is at a table longer than you think he will. Yeah. We all run out of questions about football things. So I would say the people I've talked to, I've probably got six or seven guys who were like, yeah, players should be compensated in some way. And a couple who were like, I don't know. And it's, and, and it's why... Um, it's why the NCAA, uh, should I use the phrase, gets away with this? Maybe I should use the phrase, gets away with it. Because when they're in college, um, they feel like they don't have a voice. They probably, they haven't, they're living it. And they may feel some incentive not to speak out. And, and they feel, because I even, I was asking somebody, I'm trying to ask guys about it who played for big programs, because that's where it's the issue. And I think it was a kid from Texas I was talking to about it. And somebody there who I assume was maybe a Texas writer, I was like, oh, is this something that you and your teammates would talk about? And he's like, no, nah, not really. We couldn't or something. And like when it was over, the writer was like, oh, yeah, well, they wouldn't let you talk about that there. You know, that like when you're in it and you're, you probably have passionate feelings about it while you're a college athlete because you're like, man, this is 
look at look at all the money my school is making and right. I'm not getting any of it. And then when you're free of that, at least at the moment, you kind of got a lot of other stuff to deal with. Right. Like these guys are like, I'm trying to run a fast 40. Right. I'm trying to get myself ready for interviews. This is my, right. this is a job interview for the, for, for six right. months or whatever one it is. Shot at this. Like I'm not really thinking about that and like whatever, it doesn't affect me anymore. And then if they make it, now they're millionaires, and right. it's like, okay, well, I don't know. Now I have my money. Oh, and then when they do say something, people, you know, call them entitled, say that they're spoiled. Like they don't give them any credit for the years that they went without getting millions right. of dollars. So the result is, you really rarely. And one of the guys that I wanted to ask about this, and I didn't because he was busy talking about, you know, being the number one pick in the draft the whole time is Joe Burrow. Mm. Because Joe Burrow was very out as a backup Ohio State quarterback, he was very outspoken on social media about these issues, and and I wish I would have asked him. I should have asked him, but I was asking him about, you know, what his pocket presence and stuff. You know, the stuff that people the the football yeah. stuff. Yeah. And and I don't know what Joe Burrow would have said, but it's like he was a really outspoken advocate. I don't I don't know that he's not outspoken now, but man, he's got a lot of other stuff going on. So the result is that the NCAA never faces a ton of pressure from players because they go from being kind of feeling like they don't have a voice as college athletes to being a pro athlete with a million other things on their, on their plate. And there's never a moment for anyone, especially as a group, for them to say, hey, we're going to stand up and try to do something about this. And the result is it's the status quo until – you know, state regulations and, and outside forces start to force them a direction, but they can drag their feet because nobody's pounding their fist. And it's why I think 20, 30 years down the line, people are going to look back to what was it four or five years ago when Northwestern players were talking about unionizing as being kind of a watershed moment in this whole thing. Even though that wasn't successful, I think it really elevated the conversation to another level and has gotten some of the, the, the momentum building here in and, the last and, few years. And I don't know the answer to this. And, and again, maybe if I did know the answer, maybe maybe other people would want to hire me for jobs and I wouldn't be on the street. Um, I'm just kidding. I love my job. Kane Coulter was the guy who led that yeah. at Northwestern. He's not in the NFL. I don't see him rabble-rousing about this every day because, like, his platform's gone. Right, <laughs> like, right. if you make it in the NFL, you get busy. And if you don't make it in the NFL, nobody cares what you think because now right. you're just a regular citizen. You also get busy, too. you got to go get a job. You get yeah. It. And the result is there is never – but, like, meanwhile, this the CBA, you know, they're talking about a, a renegotiation of, between the players and the, and the owners in the NFL. And as soon as there's a, a CBA proposal – there's a million NFL guys on Twitter standing up because, of course, they would. They're standing up for this. If we're going to go to a 17-game schedule, then we need this, we need that. Like, that's what's in there right in front of them right now, and they have their own things to worry about. That's a very legitimate thing. That's a super important thing. This is a, you know, this is a gazillion-dollar business that is based on guys putting their brains and bodies on the line every day. They should get every nickel they can get, but it's hard then to care as much about the 18-year-old kids who are getting a scholarship and whatever, and I know there's a lot of people listening to us that disagree with this, you know, it, it's not necessarily about our opinions. It's about, like, where we're headed on this thing and, and the way the discussion is going. And whether you like it or not, the discussion is taking place, and it's headed a direction. One more question from a friend of the pod that I think is relevant to what we're talking about. This is from the 910. How important to recruiting was Ryan Day and OSU going 12-1 with a Fiesta Bowl loss rather than, say, going 9-3, and such as certain people predicted they would? 
I added that last part. It's hard um, to tell sometimes where the shade is coming from <laughs> because it, there's such an abundance of it. It definitely could be from you or Stephen, but it also could be from our friends of the pot. Sure, yeah. Because sometimes your friends rib you. There's enough shade to go around, and there's enough reasons for the shade. To to finish the question, we know OSU pretty much runs itself, but is the difference in a top five class or a top 15 class? And I think that's relevant to this conversation because where Ohio State is right now in 2021 recruiting, there obviously is some momentum right now. I mean, they have – it's very early on still, but right now they're the top-ranked class in the country. They're pulling in five-star guys. They, you know, they were able to pull in what they did to close out the last recruiting class, being a top five class with the quarterbacks that they got, some of the other players they got. I think that is a reason why Gene Smith feels some confidence to make this kind of a commitment to Ryan Day right now. It is, to me, virtually impossible to talk about this kind of thing with Ohio State because there's no evidence. We don't know. No. They haven't had, other than the blip. They haven't had anything close to a year like that since 2004. So what would it be f- for recruiting if they went 9-3? and three? It's like, I, I don't know. Yeah. We d- like, this thing rolls on. It's all, all, the only discussion that has taken place in Ohio State football, other than the blip for the last 15 years, is are you only the best team in the Big Ten or are you also maybe the best team in the country? That's the only discussion. So I, I, I think – Sometimes you can fall into a sense of like, well, you know, I think you said in the question, like Ohio State sort of runs itself. Yeah, I mean, which, it runs itself right up until you go eight and four two years in a row. Yeah. And then you can watch it not run itself. Yeah. And it's just like on one hand, and as we've talked about it ad nauseum and written about it so many times, you run through every great program, USC, Texas, Florida State, Alabama, Michigan, line them up and you can find the times when they hit a valley. Ohio State hasn't hit a valley in a generation or, or more. When it happens, if and when it ever happens again, then we'll find out. Because my feeling is, ask Texas if it runs itself. That's Texas. It's Texas. It's the most fertile recruiting ground in the country. They are the big dog. I heard uh, the most respected NFL writer in Texas, John McClain from the Houston Chronicle, is here. He asked a player today, Josh Jones, an offensive lineman who's from Houston, he said, what's it going to be like? You're probably going to be the only player from a Texas school drafted in the first round. Ask Texas about it running itself. So, yeah. like, it doesn't. Florida State? Ask them. I mean, it, Go it, ask Clay Helton if, it, if USC, USC runs yeah. itself right now. Right. Ask it, it Mike Shula quickly. if Alabama ran itself. So, I, think, I think you're right. It's much harder to answer the question about the 9-3, and three, how that would affect because we don't have – but I do think it's easier to say, again – Tangentially off of that question, I think the recruiting success that Ryan Day is having played a factor in this com- this contract extension. Oh, and I agree. And I think that the 14 and 0 played a factor in this early success of the 2021 class, and the early success of the 2021 class played into the contract. It's gotcha. all connected because this. Uh, now, the other thing is the 2021 class. A lot of good Ohio guys. They're getting on early. They're locking down every good guy in Ohio early. But again, Donovan is it Donovan Jackson? Mm-hmm. I said that tackle from texas i don't know if he's coming to ohio state if they're coming off a nine and three year off 14 and where'd they go 13 13 and one off 13 and one sign me up especially when i'm from texas when texas is in turmoil we're going to take a break now but we're going to be coming back after with much more of your questions about ohio state football about the combine about any number of things and also your opinions and we got to hear doug's rant on this uh, food court situation come back after the break Welcome back to Buckeye Talk, live to tape from the 
NFL scouting combine. God, I just want to shout. <laughs> when you said welcome back to Buckeye Talk, I just wanted to say welcome back. <laughs> this place is cleaning out a little bit. We're seeing all the, the, the reporters are trickling out. Coincidentally? Or... <laughs> This uh, <laughs> is the word out. Maybe Don't go down good. that hallway. All the GMs are going over to St. Elmo's to get their first of like nine shrimp cocktails yeah. tonight, um, which is why all your, your NFL um, game tickets cost so much, I think. I ate Boston um, Market last night. You get two sides with the roast turkey. Boston Market is an underrated spot. My, uh, my fiance is a huge fan of Boston Market, and we're encouraged that there are, we've seen several of them around Columbus. And we've seen several of them. There's some in here in Indianapolis, too, as you found out. But there weren't any in Lafayette. Oh, no. I thought it was. I mean, it's in the realm of, like, well, you're going to eat in your car because I ate in my car. It's like I ate turkey, corn, and mashed potatoes in my car. And Wait, it, while you were driving? No, no, no. I just sat in the parking lot because it was, oh. like, closed inside. And I was texting my wife. And I just went through the drive through and then sat in my car. Oh, okay. But, I mean, if you're going to sit in your car, you're not probably going to eat a gourmet meal. Um, so no. for sitting in your car food, it's pretty good. You couldn't just take that back to the hotel? I was really hungry. It was 9 o'clock. <laughs> I guess so. Well, we're going to get to some more uh, cuisine-related questions here uh, pretty soon. But we wanted to talk a little bit about the Combine and some of the things we're hearing here. I'm obviously here mostly just following around the Ohio State guys. So far, that has been the three wide receivers and um, J.K. Dobbins and Jonah Jackson. This is as of, of Tuesday. And on well, Wednesday, or I'm sorry, as of Wednesday. And then on Thursday, we'll get to Chase Young and, and some other guys coming up here. Depending what happens tomorrow, we might do an emergency pod later in the week. No promises. I had the schedule wrong in my head. I thought we were getting Chase Young this morning because Chase Young is going to be interesting to talk about, although he actually might not be that interesting to talk about because he's not working out here and he's good and we know that. So I'm not right. sure. You're writing the story. Is that your story? Chase Young, who is not working out here, is good, and we know it. TBD. I'm not yeah. really sure exactly what I'm going to write. That's That one I'm going into with maybe less of a picture of what I'm actually going to write than any of the other guys that we're talking about, just because it, I don't know what new there is to write about Chase Young right now. So, so the thing is, I think we realize this. You guys care about the Combine guys, but you care much, much more about the team as it exists right now, getting ready for spring football next week. So we don't want to... We're not going to give you. We're not going to bombard you with combine stuff for the next hour, but we want to touch on it a little bit. And I'm very interested in the thing that again I was. I've been doing more Brown stuff here. Um, what J.K. Dobbins said today about his injury in the Clemson game. If you haven't read Nathan's story on it, Nathan, I sort of explain it. But I'm very curious about the context of it. Sort of how he said it. Was he like? ticked off about it was he really disappointed i mean he's still dealing with it did did is it like a regret that's going to hang with him the rest of his life break down what this deal is with jk talking about his ankle i don't know that there's necessarily a lot to regret he, he called it a a very high ankle sprain which which i think means a bad high ankle sprain not that it was very high up on the leg um, so a significant high and ankle And if he sprain. is dealing with it two months later, then yes, that's a pretty bad high ankle well, sprain. Well, but high ankle sprains, that is the thing. I mean, they, they, they linger. They're serious. Go ask and Jonathan have, Cooper, go ask. I mean, it, And they have nothing to do with your ankle. Right. Um, which is why they're called a high ankle sprain. Um, but there's not such a thing as a high ankle. Does anyone, no one in the history of the world has ever referred to their high ankle other than in reference to the high ankle sprain. Well, and, and it's one of those things where if it's severe enough, as again with Jonathan Cooper, he had to have surgery to correct the thing that happened. It, I can't remember the name of it. It's got a, it has something to do with what they do with the ligament in there or whatever. But it's like a ligament in your shin. It's like halfway yeah. up your leg. It's yeah. not your ankle. And people, this is one of the things uh, among all the sports injury stuff that 
nobody knows anything about. Right. Again, the fact that a concussion is a brain bruise, and we should all call it a brain bruise because that sounds more serious. It's like, it's your brain. It's your brain. Um, a high ankle sprain is not your... People think, oh, I, I sprained my ankle. It's like, yeah, that's not this. A high ankle sprain is nothing like an ankle sprain. It's like you're, there are ligaments like pulling off your bone yeah. halfway up your leg. Yeah. And it is like a serious deal. And again, we're talking about this guy did this on December 28th, and we're on it's February 26th, and like he's limited now because of this thing. That's a big deal. So it's possible that by going back into the game the way he did, and he had to go back twice, if you remember. he They went into halftime. He wasn't playing. He came back out. He tried to play to start the second half. He went one play kind of. I wouldn't say collapsed, but definitely kind of dropped down and was like, not right. Went to the locker room and then came jogging back out and played the rest of the game and was almost a factor in how they could have won that game. So without him, I don't think it would have maybe even been a conversation the way that that game was going. Um, So maybe by doing that, he prolonged the timeline of this, and that's why it's now affecting him. Um, He said today he's not 100%, and he was noncommittal about whether or not he's going to go through the I bet she doesn't go. running back workouts N- on Friday, N- which makes me right. wants to go if you're not 100%. Exactly, because there's, you don't gain anything from it, especially someone like him. If you were like a borderline guy, and this was your one chance to be on the stage, and you were from a smaller school, you don't have as many eyes on you, maybe you would have to kind of gut your way through it and try to put mm-hmm. something out there. J.K. Dobbins has a lot of really good film that he can show to people, and he's going to have... Ohio State's Pro Day, which will be very well attended here in a few weeks. Um, And he did say if he's not able to go Friday, he is confident that he'll be able to go for Ohio State's Pro Day and still be able to go through some of those position drills. And I don't think we have a date on that, but it'll be in about a month. Right. It'll be like the third or fourth week in March. He said it's only been a few weeks, and I didn't nail him down on how exactly what that timetable is, but it's only been a few weeks since he started training again. Now, it has only been two months since the game. But But most of these guys go from... right. But that told me that it, it, there was a period where he wasn't really able to do much of anything. Yeah. So, yeah, it, I mean, it, 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 it gives you a new perspective on what he had to do to come back in and play that night, I think, too. I will say, um, a little behind-the-scenes action here for Friends of the Pod. It's the kind of thing you get on the texts. What's the number? I can't remember the number. I'll get it back later. I, I don't know. It's a new thing with the number that you can just text the number. You text the number. It starts with a six. And it... It's like that's how you get signed up. It's so well done um, that we have this easy way for you to do it now. 614-350-3315, 14-day free trial. We're under the bowels of uh, Fake Grass Stadium, whatever it's called in Arizona. And um, I I think J.K.'s interview, I think people had said like in the room. Were you in the mini room there with J.K.? Like, it didn't go great. Um, I think he got frustrated and kind of left. He was being kind of ushered out to the other um, interview. I think he had been in treatment maybe, or then he came in, and then he was being kind of sent out to the interview that you were at. So, well, I, didn't, I wasn't at the interview with him because he was, in, like, in the mini room. They had the press conference room. They had the locker room, and they had an in-between room, and okay. I think he was in the in-between room. Okay. But I, but I saw him um, walking back to the locker room, and I, and I think I know he had been frustrated by a lot of things. And... Um, I just I remember saying to him I just said you're a warrior man like that in that moment like that guy and we didn't even know quite as much right right but like uh, I think that hopefully is a performance that Ohio State fans can appreciate and look back on um, and understand that I mean I thought he was he was great early they really missed him when he was out and then when he came back I mean I don't think he was himself but he was doing everything he could and 
I know there's some response from the friends of the pod that are saying like, you know, oh great, like I know when we sort of like buried the Clemson loss, you know, a month and a half ago <laughs> on the podcast. The off, yeah. But it's like I I don't know that people want to want to relive all this stuff of like, oh, here's another terrible thing that happened in this devastating loss. But really, truly, 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 I mean, to think about the idea of, of they were rolling, this team was rolling. And then their quarterback's leg fell off against Penn State, and their running back's leg fell off against Clemson. And it's like injuries are part of the game, so it's like you can't play the what-if too much. It's just a reality. But it's like, man, like why didn't it all go the way you wanted it to go? It's like they ended up – those guys played. I mean, it wasn't like season-ending injury kind of stuff. But those are two significant injuries because if Justin Fields doesn't get hurt, maybe you don't end up playing Clemson in the semifinal. And if J.K. Yeah. Dobbins doesn't get hurt – Maybe you don't end up losing to Clemson in the semifinal. And that's not just us saying that. Didn't he say that? Well, yeah, I mean, he, but you would expect him to say that, I think, that he, if but he had been healthy. But how did he say it? Did he say it like, so what would have happened if you would have been healthy? Did he say, oh, we would have won? Or did he say, oh, no, there was, there we would have won. He, he was, there was like conviction. He, you yeah. think he really thinks it in his sure. heart. And, and, and you think that because you're a competitor and because you think you make that much of a difference. But I think also sometimes, I mean, nobody has a better feel for how a game is going than the people who are part of it. Mm. And, and did you feel like his answer was something like, man, I could feel it. We were gonna, we've seen that offensive line and that run game wear teams down all year. Yeah. And instead, now their run game is what is getting is has a physical limitation when even against a team like Clemson they're a great team but it was a younger defensive line from a year ago if you're a hundred percent healthy J.K. Dobbins did it feel like in his answer he's saying like man I, I would have taken the game over in the second half I don't know if you're quite going that far I think there's some respect there for what Clemson was doing too it was I think arguably the best defense that they had played that season but it, you also now have the perspective of what happened when he wasn't in the game which he didn't actually get to watch. He's, I don't think, I mean, he's in the locker room getting treated and whatever, but obviously Ohio State wasn't moving the ball at all on the ground with him out of the game. And I think he probably sees that now too. And I even asked him about Master Teague and said like, hey, like, you know, he, he took some criticism for how that went. You know, what, what did you, were you able to say anything to him? And he said that because he pretty much left, as you're, as you're alluding to, you, you, they, those guys, these guys leave usually immediately to go start getting ready for the combine. Even in his, with his injury, that's the same thing he did. He hasn't really interacted with Master Teague about that, but I, it, it, I think he, I was asking him some questions kind of specifically about kind of Master's makeup and how he's going to sort of handle that being part of the, burden he carries into the spring and into the season so like makeup is important right whatever but also as important is he's not as good as jk dobbins yeah. and so right. like you know again we're only going to have this conversation about the running game a thousand times in the next six we months got approximately 1200 questions about the running so we can we can get into that but but did you get a sense and and everybody it's one of my uh i find myself falling in these traps that i lay for myself a lot of the times but it's like it's a thing that i hate because I think it's a cliche, and so I completely ignore it. Except it's like 30% true, you know? And so it's like I end up like taking something for granted and thinking it's stupid when there actually is something to it. So I'm so tired of players and coaches saying next man up that it's like when they say next man up, I turn my ears off. I, li- I rip my ears off my head and throw them down the gutter. But the best teams, that's what happens. That is what happens. It's like a really good player gets hurt, the backup comes in, and there's not that much of a difference. And because that backup is going to be a starter someday. Did you, and I'm not trying to throw JK under the bus, but there are opportunities in times like this to say, oh, well, we knew Master was ready. We had all the confidence in the world. You know, they're not going to miss me at all. He's going to, 
What was he sort of like talking about I, the future of the Ohio State running attack? I would say the conversation the conversation didn't go in that direction, but I also I, I don't feel like there was an absence of affirmation from him that he feels that way necessarily. It just the conversation didn't really go in that direction. I don't f- I, I don't know that there's really some point for him to be effusive in his praise of Master. Partially also though because you know we talk about Master Teague a lot because he was the primary backup last year, but there's other guys that are going to be in this conversation too as we'll talk about and who knows what things are actually going to look at by the time you get to August. Yeah, no, I mean it's 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 um I think everybody would agree that Master Teague is going to be part of the run game in the fall but I don't think we know for sure what part whether it's clearly the number one workhorse 20 carries a game whether it's a split with somebody like they did with two years ago with Dobbins and Weber or or where it's like hey somebody else kind of maybe won the job and then Master Teague is like the number two to him you know I think there's I think to me all of those possibilities are open, and the only thing we know for sure is Master Teague's in there somewhere. Yeah, we got a lot of questions about the running game. Some of them were triggered, especially because of what I uh, texted about Master T- or about JK's uh, ankle injury. I'm probably not going to get into a lot of those today because we're going to be doing a spring preview, and we've already just done some other things related to the depth chart and some other questions for the spring and. It's either things we've already discussed or things we're going to discuss again next week. So if you ask questions about the running backs, um, we may not get to very many of those, if, if any, this week, but just because it's a well-covered topic that we're going to be covering again very soon. And we got to leave room for talking about Chinese food and, right. and food courts. This is It's going to become about Chick-fil-A and Panda Express real quick. Um, you will not believe... We need to hear what that. happened let's in the just, food court. Let's just segue straight into it. What if it's a tease? Do we want to tease them? Like, you have to wait until one hour and 50 minutes in, and then we'll talk. All right. Well, do we have anything I'll else we need to talk about from the combine? I think we've, we've covered it. Um, we've only gotten a few players, and okay, half but, of it's so, still to come this week. So, so, so the thing I want to talk about, I want to talk about a little bit with Jonah Jackson is um, he's a one-year Buckeye, and it's just, just, just different. We didn't cover Jonah Jackson in recruiting. We didn't cover Jonah Jackson as he f- – battles for jobs is you know you go through a guy like Nicholas Petit Frere by the time Nicholas Petit Frere gets to the NFL Combine it's like you were the number 10 recruit in the country Greg Schiano helped you get here because you went to high school with Greg Schiano's kids and then you got here and then you didn't win a job and then you won a job and there's so much Jonah Jackson would just drop from the sky all Big Ten boop, right into a position of need <laughs> right still away. all Big Ten leave right um, so I don't know. I don't. I, I don't mean this, but it's like I don't feel like it's connected to Jonah Jackson. It's not to me like, oh, what's going to happen with Jonah Jackson in the NFL? It's like I don't know. Whatever. Good luck to him. But like, I I didn't watch his life unfold for right. the past five years. Like it's like when some of these guys go through this stuff, it's like man, you watch their lives unfold. I think it's possible he is like significantly better than I ever realized, because you look at some lists and he is kind of high up the list. Wyatt Davis was the other guard this year and was an All-American and if Wyatt Davis would, had gone pro, which he could have, and if he was here, like he he might be the number 1 guard in this draft. But is it like is Jonah Jackson like one of the three best guards in this draft because if he is, I know he was first team all Big 10 and I know the way Ohio State talked about him is he came in and he held this line together, his work ethic being a leader, how good he was, how smart he was, that was a huge thing for this young line. But I didn't know that. Yeah, no, and I think he is. I mean, from the because I've been doing kind of some draft preview stuff and uh, very early on, obviously. But, um, you know, I know Pro Football Focus, when they were covering the um, Senior Bowl where he was 
one of the participants down there, and uh, they were listing him as if as, as the number one guard in this draft class, if, or or maybe number two at that time. Um, those evaluations are obviously still ongoing, but I think it's very possible that he's one of the top three guards in this class, and that means depending on who needs that position this year. Now, guards don't get drafted the same way as no. tackles, but you could be looking at a third-round pick. Second maybe, best, even higher, maybe even higher. Second-best guard on his team. Best guard in this draft. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I, I just thought of, of all the stuff, because, again, like I don't – of all the things that are interesting, I think Davon Hamilton's draft stat. Because, again, Davon Hamilton's a fifth-year guy at Ohio State who you saw – come from all the way down as a, a recruit in the 700s or whatever it was, a local Ohio kid who earned an offer as a senior and goes on and has a great – is kind of a – is fine, but is not a hugely impactful guy and goes through, has a great senior year, and now is getting talked about as one of the – in the mix with the defensive tackles here and, again, might be like a third-round pick. That is super interesting to me Yeah, because he put in five years at Ohio State. Jonah Jackson put in one. Um, but I just it, – it's funny sometimes – and, and I've had this happen, I guess, at times in the past. It's like you end up, a lot of times, you, you compare. Your, your comparison to Ohio State is other Ohio State guys. It's like, well, Jonah Jackson is not as good as Wyatt Davis. It's like, yeah, because Wyatt Davis is going to be like well, the 18th pick in the yeah, draft. Yeah, he's going to be a first-round pick next year, I think, barring some, some sort like of drop And it's like Davon Hamilton's not as good as Chase Young. And it's like, yeah, because Chase Young's the best <laughs> defensive lineman in the past 10 years, but Davon Hamilton's really fair. And it, it does throw, as I've talked about a lot before, I thought Kirk Cousins sucked because he sucked against Ohio State. And now he makes $100 million a year as a quarterback. Ohio State throws off your evaluation because, believe it or not, I can forget how good Ohio State is. And that being like, if Davon Hamilton, he had a great year. He was probably the 16th best player on the team, the 13th best player on well, the team. Where does he but, just on defense? I mean, but at Ohio State, that can mean you're a third-round pick. Yeah. And in the meantime, I'm like, hey, he's good. It's like, <laughs> yeah, if he played for Indiana, he'd be the best defensive lineman Indiana's seen in a decade. Yeah. At Ohio State, he's just the guy in between Chase Young and Tyreek Smith. Actually, one of my most fortuitous moments so far here at the Combine was you go around table to table and talk to players when there's not an Ohio State guy up there. You try to go catch some guys who can give you some insight into Ohio State players. And I went over to the table of uh, Mike Onwenu, who's one of the um, guards from Michigan who's at this draft. And right as I got up to the table, somebody else had asked him, like, who was, like, the toughest, like, interior lineman you went up against? And he's like, oh, like the nose tackle from Ohio State was, like, really tough. And I'm like, that's awesome. That's who I'm here to ask you about. And then we had a conversation about him. So, um, so yeah, but, but Hamilton is a, is, is a prospect. I mean, I think he's a guy that I, you could definitely see him fitting in as a run stopper um, in a probably in a 4-3. I think he's still – I would say his best fit is a, a nose in a 4-3 as opposed to a 3-4. But that's one of the things that he could maybe show this week. Is he strong enough to take on a, a role like that in the middle of a, a different kind of defense than what Ohio State plays? And, and it's just something to keep in mind. And, again, we'll, we'll swing it back here towards the, the team that's getting ready to open spring practice next week. But, like – I think, again, you can have a tendency. Everybody loves the young guys. Everybody loves recruiting, and then they love the recruits when they get here for the first couple of years until they prove that they're either going to be awesome or maybe not play very much. Um, but it's like, oh, well, Dave on Hamilton's gone. But it's like, oh, but now Teron Vincent and Tommy Togia. It's like, oh, you know, Jonah Jackson's gone. But, oh, Harry Miller's going to – it's like you're replacing, like, a third-round NFL draft pick. I know they have the five stars lined up behind them. But let's remember, those guys are young guys on the way up. 
the guys they were replacing were finished products who performed at a really high level in 2018 for Ohio State. And so good luck to those guys in the combine and in the draft. But let's remember how important they were to Ohio State's success. You don't, you know, you can assume it. I think you may as a, Ohio State does it often enough that you can assume it'll be fine. But it's, you can't take it for granted, right? Maybe that, yeah. is that the same thing? But it's a slight, it's, slight difference. It's yeah. like it's probably going to happen, but appreciate that it's happening because to replace a third-round pick, you've got to be pretty good. But frankly, Ohio State probably does have the guy to do it, but you're not just replacing some, some guy who's never going to play football again. They're going to be millionaires. And the more I've thought about this team here in the last couple of weeks as we're getting ready for, even for the spring, I see the, the front seven of this defense and the defensive interior of this line as being too – potentially huge storylines as you go into the fall. I mean, I think maybe we have, because we've talked about the secondary, we've talked about the young receivers, the running back situation, we've glossed over a little bit how much talent and and, and veteran experience and savvy and all that stuff that they lost off of this defensive line and off of really the whole front seven. Yeah, no, I think that's right. I think that's right. All right, so now, taking into account the, the noise ordinance laws in Marion County, what happened at the food court? Okay. What? Let me let me let me start off with a question for you. Maybe even if it's not your favorite, what is the most important staple, the number one restaurant that you would need, would expect in a food court? I think the one that I would expect to see. Like, to me, Sabaro is food court restaurant the pizza slice the pizza slice the indianapolis food court the pizza slice restaurant is under renovation (laughs) so i went over on tuesday and it's like you have a tiny little window Mm -hmm. i'm really hungry i don't want to have to wait for someone to scoop my chicken into a bowl and get the side of green beans i don't want to have to the chick-fil-a line is long i don't want I want someone to get a slice of pizza, put it on a plate, hand it to me, and get me back towards the convention center in 90 seconds. And I walked up. I, my stomach dropped. It was, I'm at the moment, I'm starting to get freaked out about coronavirus, like along with the rest of America. So that is preoccupying. Right up until the point where I started to come around to the idea that COVID-19 or whatever might kill me. Mm-hmm. The number one thing that I was thinking about in my life was I can't believe the pizza slice place in the food court that is attached to the NFL Combine Convention Center is under construction right now. How could anyone not have planned for this? It is a building full of football people and sports writers. So, like, I'm beside myself. I don't even know how you allow that to happen. How, what do you have to do to renovate a pizza slice place? Well, that, it's the big wooden walls are up. Downtown Indianapolis, there's always a convention going on somewhere. So in, in, in that thought exercise, they would just never be able to renovate the pizza place, which I assume is the, the stance that you would prefer that they take. But there's, there's always a convention going on here. And what, a lot of what, times it's sports related. What does pizza slice renovation look like? You got a I big giant oven. Yeah. What are they? They're, they're we doing the sliding handle f- things that you get the there pizza out new, with? There may be new paddle technology. 
paddles. That's the word. Slidey handle things. That's probably not what they're called either. I, I couldn't. And so that level of disappointment, I, I was trying to think, because to me, there are just certain things that are assumed. It's like, well, I'm going to the food court. It's like, well, you don't eat a food court. What are you going to eat at the food court? It's like, well, the whole point is there are a variety of things I could eat. But it's not, you don't walk in and think like, oh, I wonder, I wonder if they have squid. Oh, I wonder, I wonder if they, there's actually the food court near my house. They have like a German place where they have like a big rack of uh, like lamb that they'll saw off some lamb. When I go to a food court, if they don't have lamb that they saw off the bone, I'm not going to be mad. I don't assume there's lamb. Right. I assume if you surveyed every food mall food court in America, how many would have a pizza slice place that is open and not being renovated? 98%? Right. It is in the definition of food court that a pizza slice is part of it. I grew up in a, in a very small town, and our, the big town close to us was Danville, Illinois. So about 30,000 people. They had a very um, a mall that at the time was pretty unimpressive and now is downright depressing. But when it had a food court that was open, there were two establishments in the food court. One of them was like a revolving door of just nonsense. There was like a hot dog place, and then it was like something else, and it was always... Various terrible things went in and out of there, and none of them ever survived. The other one, the entire time that the food court ever existed, was Sbarro. Like, it's just a staple. It's like, I can't imagine having a food court that doesn't have, if not Sbarro specifically, then some kind of a pizza place. I don't want to downgrade your hometown. You can't possibly. I've, I downgraded pretty far. On my I home. am not sure that... A two-restaurant food court is a court. I think it's a food shack. There was maybe. I think there were some tables. It was. It was an open space. Two, but just two. Yeah, I think. The, now I'll take that back. I think there was a Burger King added across the way later, and then like down a corridor, there was like some kind of a weird buffet. Okay, but it was the right there proper in the food court proper, the Village Mall food court was Sabaro, and then revolving door of weird stuff on the other side so so the thing that we put out to the people then is i wanted to hear from people like sort of what they envision what are the things that you must have as part of your food court and so we that is the thing that again it's like oh football but food court discussion maybe we should put food court in the headline ryan day's seven million dollar contract semicolon Sparrow food court opinions. Okay. <laughs> well, we're going to do kind of what we did last week, I think, which was, if you listened last week, I don't remember what it was we were talking about, but it was sort of a mix between football questions and less serious questions. Yes. So we're going to do that this week. You, we asked you for your football questions. We asked you for your food court questions. We're going to hit you with a lot of double shots um, from the friends of the pod uh, giving us both at once. So we'll just start off here in the 585. I'm a big believer in Sparrows. Reliable, never got awful, never had any stomach issues after. Those are, I, I think, important things. I will say now, Sparrow, I think previously existed almost only in the food yeah. court space, and now they are branching out into Someone the standalone restaurants, which I find disconcerting. We, uh, A friend of the pod later said that they only eat at the ones in food courts. They don't trust the ones. I'm so behind that. I have so much respect for that distinction by that friend of the pod. That is exactly how I think about the world. I ate a lot of Sbarro in college. There was the food court at UIC had a Sbarro and a Wendy's and some kind of a generic burrito place and like a Subway. And, and did you notice there you listed four things? Yes. Therefore making it a court. <laughs> well, it was the big city. It's Chicago. <laughs> yeah, we can't, Danville can't match Chicago. 
Um, football question. Do we have any ideas on Taron Vincent's status for spring ball? He's a potential game changer based off ratings as a prospect. He comes from a football family, etc. I think the more actual reps he gets this spring, the better for him and for the O-line. He is maybe, the more I think about this team, maybe the single most intriguing player for me. I know we'll get to that more next week. But, like, if he is healthy and he hits, it makes this defense potentially so much better. And I'm, and I'm doing a list for our friends of the pod that I'm a little behind from the Combine stuff, but I, I'm, I'm sending out ahead of time, ahead of the next week's podcast, my list of my 10 guys that I'm most curious about. And he gets high on that list because, again, I think a lot of times at Ohio State it's like, well, this guy, or if not, then this guy. But he seems different. He seems if you think Togi is going to be the nose, it seems like Vincent is the guy that has the best chance to be a disruptor and yeah. get after the the passer. And you know, of, of all the things that Ohio State regularly cranks out, um, you know, like super influential defensive tackles is is not as high on the list as defensive ends and receivers and cornerbacks and all the things that they have a, a, an assembly line of. Um, when Jonathan Hank, you know, it was a big deal when Jonathan Hankins. There was a whole first decade I covered Ohio State. They didn't have anybody like that. Um, they were they were placeholders mostly at tackle. And it was some of it was what they asked them to do, but they also weren't just recruiting. They weren't getting five star guys in there. And Jonathan Hankins wasn't a five star guy, but he turned into such an influential guy at tackle who could run sideline to sideline, who was big and physical, but also a great athlete. And it just it just changes so much, and it feels like Vincent is is maybe rare on a, on a team filled with talent. I, I think that is. Yes, really um, among the most curious things to see when we get out there and get to watch practice, and I think we'll get to at least take a peek at an early practice. Is he out there? Is he healthy? Is he with the ones? What does he look like will be among the things that we're going to zero in on. It's especially intriguing for someone like me who showed up a week before the season started last year. I've never seen him play football. I've never, I mean, I think I can probably go watch some YouTube things, but I've never, he's been injured the whole time I've been around this program. So for me, it, it, it's different than someone like um, Nicholas Petit Frere, who I've seen play and I understand what happened. He was competing for a job. He didn't quite get it. He was a backup last year. Does he arrive this year? That's a, it's an easier kind of thing to draw out in your mind. And for, for someone like Harry Miller, who you saw play a little sporadically last year, but you just know about his talent and why he's a natural successor. But for Vincent, I just feel like there's all, there's more unknown and there's also more potential like ceiling there for him and what the ripple effects are for the whole defense. Yeah, because as we talked about, there's just kind of a big hole in the middle. We think he's pretty good. We think Togia is pretty good. But there, there's not a lot of depth behind them if they're good. We don't. It doesn't look like. And... We still don't even know if they're good. It's potentially a big hole there. Um, moving on to see, I just did a little dead lane race there. Where I have to see. Just, <laughs> that's why I sing. I just don't want to have dead air. Okay. Sing from the six one four. Which incoming freshman quarterback has the skills that would better fit the offense? Day tends to run. Who do you expect to see taking the lead in that battle for the position after Fields leaves? The food court stops have to be Chinese or Japanese food spots. Anything with bourbon chicken, orange chicken, general so chicken, and lo mein noodles. We get a lot of support for Chinese. What about, and I like the idea, when sometimes they'll be the Japanese and the Chinese, like, next to each other. Mm -hmm. And then um, it's on, right? I mean, then it feels like, and that's the one thing I like about the food court, is when the food court establishments are vying for your attention. I, you know, don't have a great history with the ladies, I met my wife in college, and I stalked her, and we got married six months after we graduated. I, I never hit the bar scene. I never hit the club scene. I never was out. I've, I've literally never in my life have, like, gone out, like, on looking for love. Cruising. Because you know? I wouldn't have found. 
this to me to go to the food court and have people with toothpicks stuck in chicken trying to get me to eat that right, chicken talk about is like going to the club. I look so at me. Look I love, how good I look. So Asian food is like my favorite cuisine, um, specifically Indian food, but also just Chinese Thai. I love all that stuff. And I've been to many a food court in my day, whether it's malls, whether it's at my college, whatever. I have never been offered. I don't this this thing. We got a lot of questions about this. I am unfamiliar with this concept of the Chinese food sampling you're at the food court. I have no idea what your people. This are is not about. a universal. No. Apparently, thing. it is because I'm the. But I'm I'm not. I'm in a different universe. I wanted to get into a discussion of whether people have ever tried to make a meal out of the samples. It's like you go up and down the list. We definitely got some people who talked about that. And I've been in I've been in ones where there's a a Chinese, a Japanese, and like a Cajun version, and it's all just chicken dipped in sugar on a stick. So it's like, you know, my my palate is not going to def- differentiate really between any of those, but I'll shove it down my gullet for free. And so then you'll, and you always, when you take it, you have to take it and eat it. And then you have to go like, mmm, and you have to look like you're now considering the idea of, wow, you just gave me a free piece of chicken. And now I'm thinking about buying chicken from you. Hmm. And you know what I say a lot? I say, I'll be back. And then I leave. <laughs> well, from the, we got to... Friend of the pod, 937. My go-to food would be get as many free samples from Asian restaurants as possible, assess my hunger level, then get some cheesesteak. Happens 99% of the time. Yes. No, that oh. – this is the thing. I mean, it, it, it truly does. I just – you just – you guys get it. God, I feel so connected to that evaluation. Eat four pieces of free chicken with no intention to ever buy it and then eat a cheesesteak. <laughs> That's living, baby. <laughs> do, you, do you walk across the food court, order the cheesesteak, and then while they're making for you, just turn around and look the guy at the Chinese restaurant just dead in the eye? I'd be like, I got you? <laughs> no, I, I'd feel guilt with it, but I, I, you don't want to – well, I guess you do want to know. I will make – I will slow my stride. I I do a whole act in my head of like, I got the piece of chicken. I, I try to, I eat it. I think about it. I walk away. Sometimes I'll start to walk away and then I'll turn around like I'm going to go get the Japanese. Then I'll say something out loud to myself of like, ah, maybe I'll, ah. And then I'll walk down and get another free thing. And I really I act out a whole thing because I want everyone my mind. to feel good about the idea of like they're almost going to get me. And I'm not teasing them, but I don't want them to stop giving away free samples because I don't want them to think like, why are we giving free food away? It doesn't do anything. I want them to think, well, there was this guy today who like walked away but then came back and really thought about it. And we almost had him before he bought a cheesesteak. So let's keep giving free samples away. You've got to do the act. I'm imagining this elaborate choreography that you have, that you, I'm sure you practice at home in the mirror. And you're like Paul Giamatti in Sideways, like just slowly like going through this whole like smelling it and chewing it really slowly and like mixing I, it around in your mouth. I don't drink wine. I don't smell a cork or right. twirl things around in a glass. Saying, you're the Chinese food version of that. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Absolutely. You give uh, – yeah. If you, uh, you line up 10 pieces of chicken on a toothpick – and I'll evaluate the heck out of that. 
Uh, 12 minutes ago, we had a question at the start of this about the quarterbacks. Which remember. of these incoming freshman quarterbacks um, fit the Ryan Day offense better? I think the answer is if either of them didn't fit the offense, they wouldn't have recruited them. Here's the thing. I, I, I do think, and, and actually I, I haven't done it, and it should be on my list of things to do, because we're going to get to watch Jack Miller and C.J. Stroud in spring football a little bit, and it's going to be really important. It's going to be most one of the most interesting things we watch. But um, is, is what we see from them day one really important? Day one, no. Like day 12, which spring we also game. should see. Spring game will be yeah. kind of No, important. we're supposed to get a couple windows, I hope. Um, I think we have some of us – I have not watched a ton of them in high school. And so I think it's possible we think we think, you know. Um, I think CJ can sling it. I think CJ's got some Dwayne characteristics. I think Jack's a, a pretty good dual threat guy. But I think they're both both. I mean, I think they both can run some and both can throw it pretty well. Jack's been not fully healthy right. either of his last two years. So, so I think you can be, make some assumptions about Jack that, that might prove to be wrong. CJ was such a late riser. Um, I, I think that's like a, like a such a great question. And I think I hope that spring will give us like a really good answer to that. But I'm afraid like if, we, if you really tried to answer that now, I think you just might be wrong. Because we don't have enough information, and I, I, I think they both have the skill set for Ryan Day and and Corey Dennis and Kevin Wilson to sort of mold them in a couple different ways. But it's going to be great to watch. Yeah. Uh, from the four one nine, hey guys, I'm wondering which game this year we can anticipate another "Don't Be Afraid" motivational speech from Doug, like on the December eighth, twenty nineteen podcast. I got all my buddies to listen to that before the game. As far as food court, shout out to Magic Walk in Toledo, potential sponsor. Uh, a better version of Panda Express. Um, I like so I don't know if the Magic Walk is like a, like a mini chain. I respect the chains, like the Sparrow, the mm-hmm. chains that appear in the mall. Like a Charlie's Steaks will be in there sometimes, right? Yeah. But I also I think I have more respect for like the one-off, like the individual, like I'm the mom just and pop here. food court. I'm in right because I'm not much. I wish I was more. I'm not much of a mom and pop guy. I'm a chain restaurant guy. What you people know me, Chili's or die. But in the food court, that is my that is my opportunity. I was gonna say that is my opportunity to go to the mom and pop store, eat a free sample, sample, fake like I might go there, and then eat at Chick Fil A. <laughs> Who am I kidding? Um, but when should we? I, maybe like I'm curious about Oregon, and our yeah. our friend James Crepia is here from uh, from our sister site in the Advanced Corporation. He's he's literally right here. He's like right there. Reporting, we can almost touch him. And he's going to be. But we the, won't. He's going to be on We're the podcast later. Respecting a safe distance. Um, because also, by the way, James, I'm I'm hearing that Baird does your radio show, and and to my knowledge, I've never been invited on your radio show. I just want to throw that out there. <clears throat> and he's listening to this podcast, and he's thinking, this is why you're not invited, because it would be a 45 minute segment. Um, <laughs> I don't know about Oregon. We're going we're gonna to go through the schedule this summer. We're going to have, have a, a writer on for every team. We're going to go through the schedule. Just from talking to James here and me knowing nothing about Oregon, their, their defense is going to be really good. They have a quarterback thing to figure out in the spring. Like I, That's a really super interesting trip early on because you're going to have a, a kind of a veteran Ohio State offense, at least with Justin Fields and an offensive line, right? That That's kind of what you want. You have a new running back, some new receivers, but the guy throwing it and the people blocking it know what they're doing against a, a good Oregon defense. And then you're going to have an inexperienced Ohio State defense against a new quarterback for Oregon. And, like, there's, you know, 
you can rebound from a loss like that. We've seen that over time. These games are great. It's an opportunity for both programs, but also Oregon losing to Auburn last year kept them out of the, the, the playoffs. So it's really super important. I, again, Ohio State's not going to be afraid of Oregon, but like that's a real team on the road in week two when you're going to have some dudes playing who haven't played a lot before. Now, in 2016, Ohio State did the same thing. They were the youngest team in the country, and they went to Oklahoma and won. And nobody thought they were going to go to Oklahoma and win. But when they went to Oklahoma and won, it set them on a path for the playoff with a really young team. That's the opportunity they're going to have here. I don't think it's devastating. I don't think they're dead if they lose. But it's a test. They didn't have a test like that close to it in the non-conference in 2019. No. And even when they went to TCU and Ryan Day was the filling coach in 2018, they go to TCU. They play the neutral site game, which isn't that neutral. It's down the road from Fort Worth. They play in Jerry World. And they handle TCU. They lose Nick Bosa in that game. But, but again, TCU is good. That wasn't the world's greatest TCU team that year. This, this Oregon program is getting itself together. And so, um, you know, I'm here to motivate. And I would, I would like to give motivational speeches, so I'm glad that, the, that these guys got together and listened to that. But I think in general, Ohio State never should be afraid. But, man, that's going to be fun, and we're going to find out a lot about Ohio State very quickly, and we did, which we didn't do. It took right. 10 weeks last year to find out about Ohio State. It's going to take two weeks. Yeah, and that, that was interesting last year, though. We thought there were going to be tests earlier in the season, and it turned out that Nebraska was terrible and Michigan State was adequate at best. And um, that those things didn't materialize the way we thought they were. So it, I think it is really um, intriguing to have a game that early. Um, from the 937, why do you think Urban never promoted Combs to defensive coordinator? And their food question, Chick-fil-A all the way. If not available, he gets bourbon chicken or from a Chinese or Thai place. I mean, it is the... the I think the, the, the biggest Chick-fil-A closed on Sundays comes up in the food court because if it's if it's a standalone restaurant and you just like you just don't go in but it sometimes when you're at the mall on a Sunday and who doesn't like to go to the mall on a Sunday it will it smacks you in the face sometimes because everything's everything else is lit up and it's dark and you're like wow so you have to have your second choice Chick-fil-A it's like ranked voting like the Chick-fil-A on Sundays doesn't isn't viable. They don't get to the fifteen percent. Right. All <laughs> the I watch. Court caucus. All I watch is. <laughs> I'll tell you what. We're idiots. Sometimes you watch political punditry and people who like cover politics, and I think I'm smarter than them. Yeah. The debate moderation the other night was was a train wreck from what I heard. This yeah. is a cluster. We're sitting the ceilings are forty feet high right now. People are walking past and asking why they're being subjected to chicken toothpick discussions. This is better than the debate moderation for the presidential debate in South Carolina the other night. So Whatever you think of us, just always remember there are people out there worse than us. I can't remember the question. I, I'm going to interject something else. I, I was thinking the other day how amazing it would be if the national election were decided by a caucus. And, like, if you wanted to vote for candidate B, you would have to, like, get in your car and drive to, like, Bismarck, North Dakota, where all the people <laughs> yeah. were caucusing. And then you'd have to stand there and get counted. And we would just – it would take 20 years to And you drive to Bismarck, election. and then it's like, well, it, your candidate's only at 13%. You've either got to drive to Phoenix <laughs> or Madison, Wisconsin. And then you're obviously just driving to the closer one. It all becomes about geography. Um, the, the football question was, why do you think Urban never promoted Combs to defensive coordinator? For the, the answer being there were probably other. Well, well, but, but there weren't because they brought in Alex Grinch over top of him mm, in that situation. Yeah. And, and I, think sometimes, I think sometimes guys get pigeonholed um, as a position coach. Um, maybe rightly, maybe wrongly. We aren't there. We aren't there. We don't know. You know, Larry Johnson's never been a coordinator. 
Barry Johnson is as good of a defensive line coach as has ever existed in the history of football. He's not a coordinator. Um, Kerry came up from – I think Kerry's path is a little different. He was a super successful high school coach who went to Cincinnati, proved he was a really good recruiter and a good position coach at Cincinnati, got hired by Urban after another guy dropped out, proved he was a really good recruiter, a really good energy guy, really was developing cornerbacks. Could coach, certainly could coach. Um, but but I think sometimes, I think maybe when you come up from the high school level, I mean, there are other guys coming, like Ryan Day's talking about, well, Ryan Day went to the NFL. and got Kerry was a guy who had risen to the college level. And I think maybe because of that, that college was his peak. He was a high school head coach who became mm-hmm. a college coach. He was maybe viewed in a different way. When he went to the NFL, now he's not really a high school coach anymore. Now right. he's a, a coach in the NFL. And now he's like all these other guys that that Ryan Day has talked about and Jeff Halfley talked about when you go to the NFL and you get that education. And, and I think maybe, maybe there was something else. I think maybe there was a perception of Carey that he really truly went out of his way to try to break by going to the Titans. It's like, why would he leave? This is exactly why he would leave. Because Ohio State's the place he wants to be, but if he wants a better job at Ohio State, he has to prove it. Because maybe he's viewed a certain way. And so that to me is why that's how I read that. Fair, unfair, maybe he really, maybe he wasn't ready. And he said himself right, I mean, now, he just I, didn't want it at that point in his career for whatever reason too. I mean that that does that does happen. That I don't think I, I think probably not true, but it means but, it does happen. But he admits now, I know a ton more about football than I did when I left, which makes him more prepared for this step. And so whatever whatever his motivation was, the plan worked. From the 614, in terms of food courts, I always go with the off-brand Chinese option because it's filled with that delicious MSG. I had a coworker who um, I used to order Chinese food with at the Danville Commercial News many, many, many years ago, and he would call over and order his without MSG, which I didn't know was – they. Which they probably just made what it, is, what normally. It, I know it's monosodium glutamate. Yeah, but like, it's, what it's is some that? kind of just a, a just word. an additive, food additive. You can of, get it without it. I, well, see, that's my point. I think they probably just said oh, okay, and then just made it uh, the way. Yeah, they yeah. Do. Like, how would you know? I will um, say, when I was nagged on the pizza, I didn't have time. I went and I got a bag of Cheetos, and I came back and worked. And then an hour and a half later, I went back and got Japanese mm-hmm. food, and I got one chicken option that was breaded and one that was grilled with vegetables because if you get it with the vegetables you trick yourself into thinking i ate healthy today my food court meal had like a half ounce of celery in it and then you're still dead right you don't trick your undertaker um how many times do you believe how many teams do you believe have a reasonable chance at simply making the playoff and how many teams do you believe have a reasonable chance of actually winning a national championship well i mean the thing the thing that that like right now um I don't think guys like us are prepared to answer this question because we don't know who LSU is. Because LSU right. off Joe Burrow's first year with what they had been, you, you wouldn't have said that. You would have said last year, well, there's five. It's the five that we've talked about a million different times, Bama, Clemson, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Georgia, except LSU had everything it needed. Now, they lost everything. I don't think you put LSU on that list right now, but I don't, I don't know. Because a lot of times when we have these discussions, it's about programs, right? Yeah. And that's a different discussion than who can do it for one year. So I, I don't I don't know the answer to who, well, we who t- has a shot to do that. We kind of touched on this last week, though, thinking that there's like there's the three that we think we're pretty sure about, Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, probably. And then there's like maybe three more that you're like, well, what do they really have? 
maybe three, four more LSU, maybe Oregon's in that conversation, maybe Georgia's in that conversation. Does it really go beyond that, though? I mean, it's, it's a pretty limited still group. I mean, like, does Texas in that group? Maybe somehow it's like I, I, there's there's just enough. I don't is Florida in that group. I, I don't. Florida know actually in, might. Maybe I don't know be. enough, but it's like I mean again, Oregon's position. If Oregon beats Ohio State, they go they go right they go right into that group. Um, but but I don't know. It's like who could be. I think maybe Texas could be positioned to be the LSU of this year. That they they have like a, a veteran quarterback they trust. Um, it's a it's kind of like a traditional power that does have talent. It just hasn't done it lately. Right. But like it's it's not like I mean LSU went undefeated and had that that season. It's not like it's not like Mississippi State did it. I mean it's LSU, you know. So it's like who's that? I think I think maybe there's Texas or a couple other teams that could do that. Uh, friend of the pod, Josh Mustachio. Uh, my go-to food at the Mall of Sabaros can't go wrong with pizza or Stromboli. Big fan of Stromboli. I have had some some places like some mom and pop places that do Stromboli really can, really can, well. Can you give me the twenty second answer on this? Mm-hmm. What is the difference between Stromboli and Calzone? Um, Stromboli, I I think of it more as not being like an enclosed pocket the way a Stromboli or the way a Calzone is. I think of Stromboli almost as like a closer to almost being a sandwich. Okay. In some ways, I'll accept that answer. Okay. I want to um, eat both. <laughs> How would you compare this year's team of receivers versus the t- 2005 team of receivers? That that team had Gonzalez, Holmes, Ginn, Robinski, Roy Hall, and uh, redshirting Brian Hartline. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's kind of the threshold you start talking about. I mean, again, that that's three first rounders. Santonio Holmes was a first rounder off that year, and then and then Ginn and Gonzalez were back the next year and were first rounders. So I mean, that I mean, it's. <laughs> Do you think this team has three first round receivers on it? It's like, what kind of question is that? That's an insane thing to think about. But that, but like, that's the that's the realm we're dancing in now. I will say, um, and maybe he's not even on my list. I can't remember. But like, we're we're so far. I think we're really far down the road into some assumptions about Garrett Wilson, who has shown it to some degree. Into some assumptions about what Julian Fleming is is ready to do. Right away, you can see some of the physical gifts that some of those guys have that jump off the page. Um, Chris Olave is like, just from a term, in terms of like physical gifts, didn't jump off the page the same way right away. But that guy has been productive as heck the minute he was given a chance. And I am really, and, and the, so this discussion is about, we're, we're sort of talking about like how good they're gonna be, but like almost like next level stuff too, because right. maybe the question didn't ask it, but we immediately jumped to Holmes and Robisky was a second rounder. Hartline was a fourth rounder who built a huge NFL career. I mean, those are all NFL guys. Right. I'm really curious about Chris Olave, like in that realm, right? Because he makes big catches. He can be a deep threat. He runs great routes. Right, I mean, he he's he's been a really reliable guy for Clearly them. Clearly has a connection with Justin Fields, which is important for the moment. So I don't I don't know, but like, is could Chris Olave be a first round receiver? I don't like if you said right now who's most on this team, who are the guys to most likely be drafted in the first round whenever they come out at receiver? Like, where would Chris Olave be on that list? Fourth? Not first. Third? At least behind Fleming and 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 Wilson, right? Probably. But but Chris Olave might go. Zonkers this year, yeah. so like he he's another and 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 I have never really I've thought about him being a, an important guy, a big play guy, a reliable guy, a guy who can go deep. But I have not had discussions in my own head about 
Chris Olave as an NFL prospect. And so now this makes me think about it that way because I, there was a time when I don't know that I was thinking about Anthony Gonzalez as an NFL prospect until it was like, holy moly, yeah. he's awesome, and now he's a first-rounder. I think people – it's also an offense-defense thing sometimes with these guys who are maybe in the middle there because if a guy on offense – like compare Chris Olave to Malik Harrison, who you can't really compare those guys right. head to head. But who was really more important to Ohio State in a, a given year? I mean, Malik Harrison was a really, really good football player, but because he just gets tackles, that doesn't seem as like the right. same thing as catching. And a he's not like pass. A necessarily a freak of nature, but like that guy's right. like a really good player and a really good athlete. And sometimes, um, again, it goes back to the thing I said before. I think for people who cover Ohio State from a team standpoint and not they don't they aren't draft experts certain guys can get lost in the talent around them and like any knucklehead can see that Chase Young is a great NFL prospect but but I think Chris Olave and Malik Harrison fit right into that are other guys in that mold of like it's hard for me to know is is he is he a second round pick or a sixth round pick like He's a good football player, but I can't tell because he's not Chase Young and Jeff Okuda, except Chase Young and Jeff Okuda are the best non-quarterbacks in this draft. So that can't be the comparison threshold right. for everybody. Right. Um, staying with the receivers, uh, from the 216 and also from Lou from Denver, asked a very same, similar question. Uh, everybody assumes that due to his ranking, Fleming will automatically be the top freshman receiver in the rotation. But what do you think is the likelihood that Jackson, Smith, and Jigma will be the better fit? He played tougher competition with monster numbers while Fleming played more of a run-heavy offense. And Luke from Denver also asking, percentage chance that Fleming is on the field way more than the other incoming freshman, or will that be Smith and Jigba? I think as we've kind of seen this develop over the last couple of weeks and from talking to Jackson, Smith, and Jigba a couple of weeks ago, we weren't necessarily thinking of him in the realm of, of taking that one of those H-back spots those 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 KJ Hill reps but once that was kind of presented to me it like almost made too much sense right. that that could be his fit and that may be why he ends up being if if especially if Mookie Cooper is not quite ready to do that and especially if Jalen Gill or whoever doesn't really step up and seize a bigger role there he could be the one who's the most poised among this freshman class to make an immediate impact i, I feel like the the way that we Everyone, me, you, Stephen, everybody listening to this podcast, the way that we are talking and have talked about Julian Fleming and the things we're anticipating with Julian Fleming, we're setting him up to be a disappointment, yeah. not in reality, but like in our own expectations. It's almost like the Zach Harrison thing. Like Zach Harrison didn't get 15 sacks last year, so was he a disappointment because everyone had been talking about how great he was going to be. And, and he comes from a really high-level winning program in Pennsylvania with a great history, but it, it's a it's like a, a running program that that sort of shoehorned in a great receiver and threw him the ball every now and then. So that's good that he knows how to block and all that stuff. But you know, again, Jackson Smith Majigba's catching thirty balls a game. So there, there's parts of it. G Scott, you know, is like a really. I think G Scott's a guy. His, He's the one that's kind of the forgotten guy. His dad, like, is, when you have those dads sometimes, the family members who really understand the game and have been around the game. His dad is around the NFL you just sort of have a head start. It doesn't guarantee anything, but you have an understanding of what it takes to a higher level. So um, Julian Fleming is, is coming from a different spot. And Zach Harrison, you know, is coming from a suburban Columbus school where when he played, he was a foot taller than everybody else on his team. He wasn't coming from IMG. He wasn't coming from, you know, a, a powerhouse in Texas or something like that. So so sometimes those guys, I mean, I, I, I do think it's possible. I think everyone agrees, everyone thinks Julian Fleming is going to be great. 
I think it's within the realm of possibility that he has a little bit slower start to his career, whether that that's the first month of his freshman year or his whole freshman year, because what he did in high school wasn't quite what some of these other guys did, and they just might be more ready. Um, <coughs> get one in here from our friend of the pod, Chase Richardson, before we take another break, because uh, he's got a good story here I think you're going to appreciate. My friends and I were just driving to the Florida Mall the other day to look for merchandise for a movie we are seeing together tonight. We'll come back to that some other time. Um, on the way there, I said, oh, shoot, fellas, you know what this means. It's Mall Food Court Orange Chicken for dinner. And the whole car literally erupted in cheers. Mall Food Court Orange Chicken is a staple of Americana, and I will hear no arguments otherwise. Um, and it also asks, who do we think will test best out of all the Buckeyes at the Combine? Who's going to help their stock the most? That's a, that's a really good question. Because, um, I'm, I'm tr- like, Chase Young's not going to go right. through drills. Um, I mean, like, I don't think Okuda can help his stock right. any more than he has. I mean, Damon Arnett played with a club on his hand the whole year. I think it's Damon Arnett. <laughs> and, and he might be the guy. I think it is Damon Arnett because um, teams love – I mean, cornerbacks are always very sought after at, from the NFL teams, obviously, from college teams too, I suppose. But he's a guy who I think had a lot to prove coming back for his senior year, and I think he proved it in a lot of ways. But I think he can still enhance his draft stock right now by what he, you know, the numbers he can put up here whenever the cornerbacks test. I don't remember what day that is. Yeah, no, it's it's later in the week. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that would be the answer. I, I will say one of the other things that goes into, I think, the food court Asian food experience is often – and maybe I'm wrong on this, but often like the type of Chinese restaurant or Japanese restaurant that you would eat at in a food court, if it was a standalone restaurant, you very likely might get takeout from it. Cause, and sometimes those places don't really even have a big mm-hmm. place to sit down and eat. And I think anytime you're getting takeout, and, and I may be speaking to the DoorDash, Grubhub, Uber Eats generation, I wouldn't pay a nickel for someone to go get food for me, which makes, which is like the, probably the oldest thing about my personality. The only thing that I am good for in life is running out to get food. That's what dads do. You get in the car and you go get something. The idea, I am so incapable of so many, I can't. I can't fix things up around my house. I've had a bag of, I've had four bags of mulch piled up at the corner of my house for 18 months. The bags are going to disintegrate and mulch themselves at some point. I am. I thought that's what you were going for. Yeah, go mulch yourself. I am a terrible human being. The very least, the only thing that I can do is go pick stuff up. And that that is the area that people are like, well, I can't do that. I can't go out and pick up food. I have to. I have all these other things to do in my life. Maybe I should go work for Grubhub or whatever. But when the the, the and and the idea of I, the the takeout experience to me should be limited because you lose what fourteen percent, twenty three percent of the quality oh, yeah. of the food. The minute you're putting oh, yeah. it in a box, putting it in a car, and driving it somewhere. Right. French so, fries or anything that's been like fried, it starts to get kind of just like. It loses its crispness. Yeah. So it's not just, I think mentally, the excitement of the orange chicken at the food court contributes to how good it tastes because you get excited for it. But I think there's an actual thing there that it's, it's like getting takeout, but you're, you're, you ate it 11 seconds after you got it. Because every other circumstance where you would eat that food, it's after a car ride. Now it's hot and 
it's fresh and it's not boxed up. Are we at the point, I can't tell if people can't really hear us or if it's just so quiet and they just are seething. Probably. Like, Probably mixed. I'm trying to work. And if I hear another guy say, toothpick in a piece of chicken, I'm going to throw his microphone against the wall. But I think there's an actual quality that arises because of the setup of the food court that contributes then to the emotional connection to it. But it's not only emotional. There's an actual physical reason for why it tastes better. Where I live in Columbus, I'm not really near a food court. I'm not near a mall. So I'm a big fan, like I said, of Asian food. And I love to go just eat in like a little Chinese restaurant. And I'm really excited that I found one on High Street, Yao's Chinese Bistro. I've been going there for the last few weeks. You just go in and get a big pile of chicken fried rice. And eat it there? Really well. Oh, yeah. Tremendous. And I can just work there. There's not really usually a lot of other um, patrons. Um, really solid place. You see if we, they can sponsor the pod, maybe. <laughs> Make it happen, baby. Well, we're going to go to an actual commercial here with our break, but we will come back to uh, to wrap up this edition of... All right, we're back here to finish up on Buckeye Talk with the lightning round. But first, I want to talk a little bit about basketball. You were able to get over to a, a big game. You know, it seems like just a couple weeks ago we were talking about this team and wondering if it was like spiraling into oblivion. And now I feel like they're in pretty decent shape. Um, it's like you covered basketball for a long time. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's different than football, right? Especially a place like Ohio State, it's like a, a loss at Ohio State. And Ohio State football is like you stop the presses kind of thing. Every but, game is a referendum in a football season yeah, on, and, the, on the team, and it's not that way in basketball. And basketball, sometimes you just lose. It doesn't mean anything. Right. Just the other team beat you, and you're still better than them, and nobody goes 31-0, and so what's the big deal? I, I thought beating Maryland was, like, huge, and I basically went with the intention of ripping them. Um just kind of my mo, but the idea of like you know you're not who you should be, um, and to me, if they had gone out there and it was you know it's not weird because it was right like they were favored in that game. Maryland's was was a top ten team, the first place team in the Big Ten. Ohio State's mired in the middle of the pack with all those other teams that are right around five hundred in the conference. But Ohio State was like a three point favorite in that game, and it turned out to be right. But to me, if you lose that game, if you don't compete, if you lose it, then you're just not who you're supposed to be. Because what Ohio State's supposed to be is one of the four best teams in the Big Ten who who they compete every night with everybody, and there's nobody that should automatically. It's not Ohio State football, but yet at the same time, there's no excuse of like, well, they're just better than us. That does not exist. I mean, and, and, and I referenced it in the story that I did wrote, which was praising them because, of course, they needed to be praised after beating Maryland. Um, but Gene Smith, when he fired Thad Mata, said we should be competing to win the Big Ten every year. And he said eventually in that. So this is Chris Holtman's third year. It depends what your definition of eventually is, and that's what I wrote. And nobody read it, but that's all right. So, it's, I mean, eventually when he said that, it's year three of Holtman. Maybe eventually he's not quite yet, but certainly next year. It's well, either right there, his first year, right? But but that was like that modern, wasn't his team. It was it's modern remnants and that stuff. But it's like it's it's now you're it's a, it's a it's a really good thing. Back to the thing at the beginning. Hey, right. we're bringing the podcast back around. You know, you, you did it with somebody else's guys right. and somebody else's structure. Basically, now do it on your own. And and certainly last year's a step back year was reasonable, but then it was also reasonable for them to show something this year. And if they didn't show it. They didn't show it against Maryland, and you're just this team in the middle who beats Northwestern and Nebraska and maybe Indiana, but when you play somebody actually good, you lose. They were, I think, 0-8 against top 10 big – they were 0-8 against ranked Big Ten teams last year. They were 0-2 before Maryland this year. You're not competing with the best teams. That's not what Ohio State – that is not acceptable. That is not the standard. 
And to beat Maryland like that, and I thought Dwayne Washington and Luther Muhammad and E.J. Liddell, and not just the old guys, not just the Wessons, some of these young guys looked ready for the moment. They made winning plays down the stretch. C.J. Walker looked like Aaron Kraft a couple times. I mean, there, it was moments, and, and, and I'm going to admit to it, and there are certain things, sometimes I get stuck on things, but like that era of Ohio State basketball is always going to mean something to me, and that's what it felt like to me. And I know you guys care about that era of Ohio State basketball because that's the team that's in the, in the tournament, the Carmen's crew team that won $2 million bucks last year mm. and that everybody loves to watch and talk about. And the reason you love to watch and talk about them is because you loved them when they were here. And I felt that again. The crowd was it was a sellout crowd. It was a national TV game. And they rose to the challenge. And to me, like that one game was like, okay, they're here. And if you don't have moments like that, then you're not at the standard. And so I thought that was – a like really big game, you know, to propel them forward and whatever, but just to sort of reestablish that middle of the pack for Ohio State basketball in the Big Ten, hey, we're eighth, whatever, that is not the deal at all. And like, you know, late in year three of Holtman is now time to be able to hold them to that standard. And so it's it's not, and by the, by the betting line, it wasn't an upset. They were favored, but it's not an upset. It's not unusual. It's what should happen. So you don't want to go too crazy about it. It's like you don't storm the court for it because this is who they are. But I, I was—I don't know that they had shown who they were. I get it. You beat Michigan barely on the road or whatever, but Michigan's not any good either. But that—that's what they should be every game. I think it, it does allow you to kind of recalibrate what you think the potential of this team is at this point in the season. I mean, to get a win like that at this juncture of a season tells you what this team could potentially do. But I think everything else tells you what they could also potentially do. And I think there's a lot of teams in college basketball like that this year where it's, it's really wide open. And, and part of my point, too, is like it's all about the tournament, and I get that, and everybody knows that. But also, you know, well, Buford goes three for 16, and your season ends. It can't only be – being a college basketball fan is not only about the tournament. It's about those games in February, in January and February, when you're at a football school like Ohio State – and the football season is over, and it's cold, and you're looking for something to be invested in with your team. Can you be invested in your basketball team? And can they, can they give you something back? And, and whether they make the second round or make the Sweet 16 or whatever, did they feel like a team in February that you could believe in? Because January and February in Ohio lasts a long time. I think it's like about 100 days in those two months. And if your team for January and February is like, well, if we play somebody good, we lose. And I don't, and, and like non-conference wins in October, I don't, it's like, those are lovely. Fine. That's not what it's about. It's about beating Michigan State and Michigan and Indiana and Maryland and Wisconsin and the teams that matter in Big Ten play and being one of those teams that matter. And on sat, on Sunday against Maryland, for the first time to me in, in a year and a half, they were that team again. Um, and that's who they need to be every Big Ten season from here on out. Um, we're going to blow through some, some lightning round questions. Like I said, we're not going to necessarily probably get to every, certainly not to every question. And for the ones I read, I'm probably going to just pick out the best food court ones because a lot of you love Chinese food and you love Sbarro and you love Chick-fil-A. And I'll, I'll pop in some more original ones here. But a question from the 937, I don't know if it's just nostalgia, but I want Hooker at safety, not Proctor, for the 2020 season. They're talking here. Uh, am I the only one, or is there any feeling about this around the team? I don't know that I think people necessarily want Marcus Hooker over Josh Proctor as the starting safety, but I think some of what we saw from Hooker late last season, and maybe 
um, court, um, um, who, who are we talking Combs. about? Oh, Kerry Combs. Kerry Combs coming back into the program. Um, has led people to wonder if there's going to be more to safety play. And I think they have some confidence in Hooker being able to hold up based on what they saw lately. I don't. Th- do we think that? I think there's a role for him. No, but do we think they might play two safeties more? I don't think they're going to do it as like a base. I think their base is still going to be the single high. Yeah, no, I think so too. Um, I don't think uh, Malik Hooker is a rare dude. And so, like, whether someone's related to him or not, we should not be in the business of comparing people to Malik Hooker. Um, something that popped up, Ross Fulton, um, who's a really good X's and O's guy on Ohio State, Landis tweeted at me this week when the rosters came out that Pete Warner was up to 242 because I'm obsessed with Pete Warner's neck. Um, and, and Ross jumped into that Twitter conversation and uh, wondered whether – a heavier Warner could be an indication that they're going to move him to like the weak side linebacker spot out of that hybrid spot, mm. the spot that we've all been assuming Baron Browning's going to play. That if you're going to have Borland and Mitchell at middle linebacker, Browning's your outside linebacker and, and Warner's your hybrid. Um, and then it, it sort of launched a Twitter discussion of like, well, what could it mean? It's like, and if Warner's moving there and then you need that hybrid, then someone said like, well, I want Josh Proctor at that spot. And all of a sudden, if Josh Proctor is your your hybrid, what's it called? Wolverine? What's the thing they call it? The spot. Oh, the bullet. The fr- I, I, I successfully <laughs> did, you did it. See, did you really forget the bullet? I did. I vanquished. <laughs> I'm going to call it the orange chicken from now on. The orange chicken spot. Because now, warm feelings. Now you're opening spots. Now you get Proctor and Hooker on the field. And I'm like totally against that because the whole problem with that spot, the whole problem with Brendan White is you're trying to make a safety do linebacker things because in the end that's right. a linebacker spot. Right. I don't want them to be in the business of turning safeties into linebackers. I want them to recruit guys who have safety bodies who can play linebacker and play them at linebacker their whole lives. That's what that should be. Um, but that, like, I'm waiting also. I'm waiting for the thing that nobody saw coming and that when we look at the first team defense on the first day of spring practice, the three linebackers who are out there are Pete Warner, Josh Proctor, and Tuff Borland, and Marcus Hooker is a deep safety, and all of our minds are going to be blown. Now, I'm not going to anticipate that, but there's often a thing that we don't see coming that in the offseason they've made a decision about something that they haven't told us about, and it's going to be revealed next week is it more likely to happen in the spring or is that more likely to happen in august i mean that's i'm trying to think there was like it was in the spring like that was the day it was like darren lee was a redshirt freshman like darren lee is running with the first team defense we were like what darren lee he played quarterback in high school and it's like he's a starting linebacker or you show up and there are just guys out there that you didn't see coming so um the idea of like you're you're sort of like want hooker because of of his bloodline um josh proctor's like a borderline five-star recruit that people have been kind of having high hopes for. So at the moment, I'm, I'm more interested in Proctor still. Well, the dominoes of that are really intriguing, though, because you take Domino's Warner is typically not over. in a food court, because Domino's no. is more... <laughs> <laughs> if you take Werner and put him over at the spot that we're all been reserving for Baron Browning, then you, you just keep the Baron Browning-Tuff Borland combination together? I mean, it's like, right, are you, are you using Browning as a rush end more? Or, or Warner and Browning? Linebackers and making him the, the strong side guy? I mean, that's the thing. It's like, we think we know, and that's all. That like, actually makes a lot of sense. This depth, these depth chart observations and, like, the charts that you did in January, they're so interesting. But they're, they're so meaningless. But they're based on assumptions. <laughs> I, I mean, they're not meaningless because we we watch, we know the backups, we talk to coaches all year. I would already have a good completely guess. redo. I think. But but the issue the that. issue that happens is have have they changed their opinion? Because we base it on what we've seen. We base it on what you saw 
in the depth chart and you saw when second teams came in the year before, but if they have changed their mind about somebody and we don't know it, that's when spring gets interesting. It's a good uh, question uh, about the combine. Is the national media stretching the big dealness of Joe Burrow's hand size? Are scouts and GMs actually surprised to hear this, or is it just new info for non-scouting people? So I would say there, there, it felt a couple of years ago that, that some of the hand size stuff actually felt more real, and it seems like every – I know Joe Burrow himself made fun of it, but, like, I've heard NFL people make fun of it now, that, like, it's – and it's kind of like the height thing, too. It's like, man, the, Lamar Jackson's the freaking MVP of the league. Nobody cares if your quarterback's not six feet tall. Baker Mayfield was the number one pick. I mean, like, Jared Goff had small hands. Like, a lot of this stuff, I, I like, they still do it, and it's still going to be a thing. But but I, I, in the last three years, have almost felt, three, four years, I've felt more of a shift that, like, it feels like more now that NFL people, because a lot of the stuff in the past is not just, like, it comes from because there are scouts or player personnel people who actually care about that stuff right and i think we are in now officially the age at least at quarterback where it's just about can you play well to, well, to, but to me it's, it's one of those things where it's like if you've proven all these other things if you've produced against other against strong defenses in college and you've played with some you know pro um concepts and you you look comfortable in that and you do all these other things arm strength you can run whatever and you just happen to have small hands it's ridiculous to discount a person's draft status completely because of small hands. But I think it's one of those things where, um, and it comes, you know, receivers with their wingspan or other things like that. It If you aren't as solid and all those other things, then it becomes one of those things that, get, that gets used against you, I think, more in evaluations. And I, and I feel like, I felt like before, and I think Goff was the guy with small hands, and Hugh Jackson was working out Carson Wentz and making the ball wet to see if he could gri- still grip it and that kind of thing. Um it felt like before that when you had a discussion, the discussion was, could this actually have an effect? And, and I have not. With the, the the friend of the pod is asking, can it have an effect? You know, is the media stretching it? I don't. I have not seen anything that implies at all that it has any effect. And like, as Joe Burrow said, to your point, what's the effect of the measurement? And he said, if I fumble a lot, maybe it would be an issue. Okay, my hands are small and there is an effect. He said, I don't fumble, so there's not a problem trying to find some good final questions here as we go out and, and some that wouldn't uh, wouldn't take us too long um it's a question somebody should know question about the spring game as a follow-up to your suggestion to take the kids as a cheap way to let them experience a game is the best in band land involved and if so do they do all the traditional game day stuff i i, I wouldn't know because i haven't been to a spring game um, before i'm trying to think if they uh, gosh i i'll double check this it's like i just have a terrible memory about things they they often do a w- in the past sometimes have done like weird halftime things where they'll have a student race or some some of that stuff so i'm i'm trying to think for sure if the band is there or not but like but there's it's a little more of like a carnival feel that there's something entertaining it's like hey carrie combs is racing um cj stroud and and somebody from the crowd kind of stuff so um I'm not going to tell you it's 100% of the Ohio State experience, but it's enough of a replication for five bucks to make it worth your time. You know, there's a lot of questions here that are about um, things that are going to be spring topics, and we're going to get into a lot of that next week. So we're just going to, I'm going to make a note of it here because I did go through the questions and come up with a plan to do this podcast. It took a while, though, right? And take it. It's time consuming. It, it's somewhat time consuming, but I think we had, like, some would even say like German-like precision 
plowing through this podcast today. I thought we, I thought the trains ran on time. I am not against precision as long as I don't have to execute the precision. Okay. So we may have fallen on something <laughs> here where I can still shout random things, sure. but yet there is more structure. And you'll see. I just don't have to provide it. We didn't follow a script. We weren't, I feel like, tied down to anything. It was just a matter of cutting and pasting questions into an order and seeing what our friends of the pod, you know, they take a lot of time to send us these questions, and I feel like, you know, we should take a moment or two to to respect their questions. Again, if it's your moment or two, <laughs> I could not be more in favor of it. Anyway, for, for a lot of you who ask questions, I'm gonna we're going to make a note of it, and we're going to keep them for next week because we're going to be talking a lot about spring stuff for next week. So Doug has to get over to another thing here at the Combine. Um, we're probably going to wrap up Buckeye Talk for this week here. Um, sign up for the text if you haven't signed up for the text. Doug, can you give them the number again? So, again, this is it's still a 14-day free trial. It's $3.99 a month. You can text 614-350-3315 to get things rolling. Uh, if you follow our Twitter account at cleveland.com, they sent out a text about it, uh, encouraging people to do it. And the photo they used, I feel like in the photo it looks like I have a toupee. It was kind of a weird, bad hair day for me. Do I? Do, yeah, I, it's not about whether I do or not. It's do I typically look like I have one? Um, so if you want to check that out, that's my uh, reason to go. My hair looks a little weird there. It's like kind of like lying, sticking on top of my head mm. like a dead animal. 614-350-3315. It's a way to get it started. Be a friend of the pod. I mean, you're our friend anyway. And and this is a good way to characterize this that we we and I have talked to again we talked to a lot of people around the company about this uh, tech subscription thing and and I have always told everybody that we view it as an extension of the podcast and we want it to be that we we want it to be a way for if you just listen to this we want you to enjoy it but if you pay three ninety nine a month it's not just that you get to enjoy it you get to be part of it if you want to be um, and if you have a really strong opinion about food court stuff. Um, you know, maybe four bucks a month is, is worth it to be able to have a chance to express that. So we keep encouraging you, if, if you haven't tried it, give it a shot. Um, it's going to get really interesting during football again. We understand there's an off season, and we keep it going all year. It's kind of a different beast in the off season, but, like, spring football is not the off season. Starting on, on the next six weeks, once we get to next week, the six weeks after that, there's going to be, like, a steady flow of stuff you are going to want to know about right away as we interview players as we talk to coaches and we are going to be texting things to you standing on the field with these guys and not just what they're saying but what it means and the minute we get out and we have a chance to see holy moly you won't believe who's on the first team i mean i guess you can get some of that stuff on twitter but like you don't have to go look for it it comes to you so this is a perfect time to try it 614 315 I was going to say I memorized it but I didn't. Try it now. 614-350-3315 friend of the pod. This is the money time to really get in. Someone just rolled by on a Segway by the way. Um, this reminds me I need to give you a tutorial on how to turn a browser page on your phone into an app basically because then as I've been doing from the combine I don't have to go back to my computer or use the weird browser on my phone to send out the text that you guys are getting today about Jonah Jackson and J.K. Dobbins. I could just do them directly from my phone, and I think that's something I can teach you and Steven to do, and then we'll be off to the races. You know how, like, you do something in life, like, the same way for, like, years and years and years, and then someone says, why do you do it that way? Nathan likes to do that to me. 
<laughs> I don't really say that. I'm just saying here's the thing you don't know about. Let me show you, and you can decide if you think. It's a I good feel thing. like you should probably come to my house um, and maybe go through some things, mm-hmm. and uh, might be six or eight I, things. You do I what? Say, I think you'll find this advantageous. Is all I'm saying. And our, our and and so will our friends of the pod. Okay. Uh, thanks for subscribing. Thanks for reading, uh, listening, and we'll be back at you next week with more Buckeye talk. Now, now, now see, I'm now, now, now I'm curious. You did uh, the close the week I wasn't on. Mm-hmm. You did a different close, mm-hmm. right? Um, and we understand that people are different and people have different things. I, I feel like if I'm on, even if I'm not saying it, I th- I kind of feel like we should have the close that we have had for like. 500 episodes mm-hmm. so so you could say it and i was waiting to see if you said it and and, and you didn't say it right so do you do you th- push back on that the idea that the close if i'm here the close should be the close and i feel like the person who is the host is should should do the close so and you ceded those duties to me tonight well but then the thing is so this like i'm all good with this like if we kind of head down this path going forward but if you're not going to do the close then like i'm never not hosting again (laughs) because like the close other than the song i mean the close is kind of is kind of part of who we are and so i understand when i'm not here that there's some freedom with the close but I feel like if I'm here, even if I don't say it, the close should be the close. I really wish we had had this conversation before because we could have saved everybody about two minutes and you could have just done the close and these people could have gone back on with not having to listen to us anymore. I mean, we talked about orange chicken for 45 minutes, so I think they're okay. Okay, so I'm going to do the close then. If you don't, I mean. I'd knock it out of the park. Here, here's how that's going to go probably from here on out. If you don't, if you do a different close, then I'm just going to jump in. And do the other close. Mm-hmm. But then maybe you'll just cut off the recording. You know, for all you know, I stopped recording 90 seconds ago anyway. Yeah, here's the thing, though. I do like my own voice enough that I listen to this thing, and okay. so I'll know. Okay. And I will go you back will in, right now, and though. I will grab an old close and shoehorn it on <laughs> to the end of the podcast because we can't get out of this thing without saying, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>